It's me, DDP, Diamond Dallas Page, the king of Bada Bing. This is Action Sports Jax. Bang! DeAndre Hopkins is a great football player here. He, he made so many plays for us. We love DeAndre Hopkins. But he had three years left on a deal, and he wanted a raise. And, and we weren't going to be able to go in that direction. We felt like we had a great offer from Arizona that, that involved picks, that involved uh, an excellent three-down running back uh, who is hungry and, and humble and just can't wait to get started. David Johnson's going to be a great addition to our football team. That is Bill O'Brien. Hmm. That was the logic, I guess. <laughs> How do you explain getting rid of DeAndre Hopkins? Well, we didn't want to deal with a headache, number one. What headache? Well, the, they, they the, obviously anticipated well, if he wanted a raise well, that they, and, they were going to have to deal with some drama. And, and to be fair, DeAndre Hopkins is going to make just the same amount of money in three years. As Amari Cooper is going to make in two years, by the way. Yeah. Um, and that's why he wants a new deal. Take I mean, every, listen, Michael Thomas reset the market last year. Yeah. And I think Hopkins is due like 12 million bucks or something. Mm-hmm. And so everybody wants to rip up their money when they uh, whip up their contract when they outperform it, which, which I get. You know, I understand it from the player's side. Three I, years left, though. I, I mean, I, I know, man. It's like what isn't there like a fundamental nature of this to say, hey, um, you're the one that signed the deal. Like you agreed this to this deal. It's a term of what's the deal of a long term contract? Like there's no like I do from an organizational standpoint. When you sign somebody ahead of time, it's like like say they sign Miles right to a deal that at the time everybody's like, oh, what are you doing? You know what? A, you know maybe it's too much and he didn't play that well. But say he becomes like all pro this year. Well. The way that this day and age is with agents and everything, Miles will want to rip up that contract and now be closer to C.J. Mosley, mm-hmm. even though he's got two more years left on it. And by the way, I'm just using Miles as an example. Um, you know, and Hopkins has got it done for a long time, but he was a good receiver and one of the best receivers in the game even when he did this deal. So from an organizational standpoint, you're like, wait a minute, I did this deal, I gave you this in time, and now, yeah, it's coming up. You know, and and every the prices have gone up, and yeah, you're probably underpaid. But like, well, that was part of the risk we took on when we gave you this deal for this much. Like, what if you didn't perform at it? We assumed that risk too. Like, the player yeah. still gets that money guaranteed, not like every year, but whatever upfront money and all that stuff. I mean, to me, that's just the way business is. Yet now we get all these players that want to rip it up, rip it up, rip it up, and that's where we see this stuff. I mean, no different with Jalen. Two years prior to his deal basically being done, he was already knocking on that door and kind of setting the stage. And and the funny thing about Jalen is he ain't going to get paid an extension most likely until after he plays through his fifth-year option. Mm-hmm. So it's he never got it. Now he got out of Jacksonville, but he didn't get his big payday prior, like when he wanted it. And uh, now Arizona's probably going to give that to him. So they could find a dance partner. But I, I get the frustration of teams in a sense, like where you say, hey, we made a good move. We, we gave a lot of money to a player that's worth a lot of money. And now here we are three years later or two years later, and one guy signing for $20 million a year. So now that good player wants to rip up his deal. It's just, I, I guess, a tough spot to be if you're the organization. If you're the Houston Texans, though, can you at least go to DeAndre Hopkins and say, you know what, man, you still have three years left. Let's see how you do this season. You know, let's have another all-pro year, and then maybe we can go back to the table and talks. 
He literally said he wants to get paid more money. He wants to make Amari Cooper money. And then you just trade him right away. And then you try to pawn us off and set, insult our intelligence and say, well, the offer was too good to pass up with David Johnson, a second-round pick. David Johnson had one good year back in 2016. All right, He was an all-pro player, and he was my fantasy captain, and I appreciated him. Okay, But that was one year, and that was 2016. He's a running back. You're putting all your cards in a basket right now that could have some holes in it. I, I just I don't understand it. I just if I'm the Texans organization, I would just say, you know what, DeAndre, we see where you're um, DeAndre, we see where you're coming from. Let's have one more good season, and then maybe let's go back to the tables. But you didn't even do that. You didn't even give him a chance to showcase his talents and to try to bet on himself. You traded him away right away. Well, I guess the only thing sense. here's the thing: what we know and what we don't know, right? Now, because we're so used to players being so vocal about this, now Jan and, and Jalen before and. Whoever, uh, Le'Veon Bell, players are vocal. Uh, well, we don't know if it maybe DeAndre Hopkins started this ball rolling in camp last year when Thomas got the deal. You know what I mean? So when Thomas, so it would have been quiet and but under then, the radar. So Brent, that have been four years though. No player is going to come out and say I'm on a four-year deal. Well, I think maybe he said after this. See, you know, I'm just saying the conversations, the idea, uh -huh. and so some of those conversations maybe the organization had with this agent and said like, hey, well, we could do. Maybe they asked something like that. Well, maybe DeAndre is still going to kind of put up a, a fuss. I mean, if yeah. you take a look at it, man, Michael Thomas making 20 million, DeAndre Hopkins making 12. It doesn't seem right. Sure, right. but I mean, I mean if, if you're DeAndre Hopkins and you still have four years left in your contract and you're trying to get more money, time to fire your agent. Simple as that. If you're literally trying to go over the table with four years left in your deal, then fire your agent. Enough said. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, you just don't – I guess my point in that is I, you don't know how much of that played out behind sure. the scenes. And, you well, know? and now there's – like, Listen, DeAndre could have easily said what, what Jan's saying now. I don't mm -hmm. want to sign with you guys. I don't want to play here. Yeah. But he just didn't do it on a vocal level. And obviously they're still waiting for the trade to actually go through because, you know, there's no doctors to give them physical right now. And, hey, Jacksonville, Indianapolis, or Nashville, step your games up and send a doctor to him right away and get him out of the AFC South because the last thing you want to see is this trade not go through and another, like, three or four years with DeAndre Hopkins in the AFC South. Or if you're a Jaguars fan. Or see if somebody will or trade you on for him if, right now. <laughs> there I mean. you go. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Why not? Uh, I mean, sweeten the pot a little bit. Could they have made a move now in division moves become a lot di more difficult like that. Um, yeah, but, but, I mean, David, jo I don't know, man. It's just it's crazy. I, it's really interesting to hear Bill O'Brien kind of, you know, you know, it's funny about this game, you know, about especially in the GM thing. They make sense of it, right? Yeah. Now, this thing has not made sense across the board. Mm -hmm. From Rex Ryan to us to anybody that covers the NFL and talks to the NFL, this move for Hopkins doesn't make sense. It, it, it's like whatever that value chart says didn't, didn't seem to add up. Mm -hmm. But to Bill O'Brien and somebody else probably in that Houston building because you can get you can brainwash yourself and kind of live in your own bubble so sure. much that you can talk yourself into it, somewhere along the line it made sense. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense. But we all don't get it. And it, it'll be very surprising if Bill O'Brien is correct here uh, to say, hey, you know, he wanted a big raise. He had three years left on his deal. But you know what, man? Play hardball then. You you got the rights. Uh, yeah, I'm just even if he if he, if he's the least bit correct about this trade, and you do get a, a you know a fantastic running game and David Johnson's kind of back to his yesteryear stock on the touchdowns. Fantastic. But what did you do to help Deshaun Watson? Okay, because Deshaun Watson, last time I checked, was the face of your franchise. You just traded away the best weapon that he could ever have at the wide receiver position. So to sit here and justify it saying, well, David Johnson, you know, he's a complete back, a three-down back, yada, yada, yada. Very cool. 
How is Deshaun Watson up in the situation right now? I'll tell you what, he's not. Yeah. Craziness. I, I, it is kind of crazy, and um, it, it's just can wild. You, can you imagine me texting sports radio right now? How much fun are they having? Yeah, I'm trying I, to pick this one apart. Yeah, it, and it's not the only one, you know. Yeah. Uh, now, listen, they they do have Laramie Tunsil on that deal that they're going to give him like eighteen and a half, nineteen million dollars a year, mm-hmm. and so they're going to pay him. Top That's going to help Watson, obviously. That will help yeah. Watson. You're right. Uh, but I guess this is kind of the new thing, right? So did so does Houston come off? There's so much talk around Jacksonville, like they don't treat their players right. They don't treat their players right. So does that go down as Houston treated their player right because he wanted a raise, so they let him out of a three year, three years left and traded him away? Yeah. I mean, does that go down? Is I mean, that what agents and and players say? Hey, thanks for treating me the right way. This is a great org. This is a sta- great organization because they look like a bunch of dumbasses for making the move. Yeah. Listen, I was nine times out of ten, I'll take the player side and I'm. I'm always going to say, go get your money, right? But in this situation here where that guy had three years left on his contract and you're going into a season where you just came off a, a playoff game where you should have killed the Kansas City Chiefs and you got beat at the end, I'm keeping DeAndre Hopkins. Like I, I can't come along and say Houston is a player-friendly organization. I think Houston is a dumb organization, okay, because they were dumb, number one, to trade Hopkins for what they traded him for, not even a first-round pick. Like That's just ludicrous to me. But number two, they were dumb to, to say, you know what, give us one more year and let's see what's up. Okay, like, come meet us halfway. You know, like, we'll try to work with you and we'll move some things around, but meet us halfway. You didn't even give him a chance. You just traded him. He said, I want out, and you traded him. So, to me, I'm not on Hopkins' side here. Like, good good for Hopkins. Hopkins obviously yeah, got what he wanted. And so he'll get more once more it goes through. Him, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and Hap on Arizona, that high-powered offense with, with Kyler Murray. We'll see what happens there. Good for Hopkins. But from a Texan standpoint, you guys are dumb. Yeah, I, I think uh, what one last thought on it is, you know, from a standpoint of do you – are you treating your players right? I think Deshaun Watson would say no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. to that point, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, uh, which is pretty wild. Uh, we have Stephen Naim on the line. Let's get to him before we get to this uh, topic about uh, emerging stars in the NFL. Uh, Stephen, hope you had a good weekend, man. Hope you're doing well. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. What's happening? Uh, I, I had a good weekend. How about y'all? I enjoyed WrestleMania just like Austin did. Oh, you better believe it, man. Uh, we're going to dissect all my big and, picks and wins and we'll in a bit. we'll break that down later. Don't worry about it, Stephen. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'm sorry some of your picks didn't go the way they did, but, you know. <laughs> you know what? It's the way it goes sometimes in this sport, Stephen, right? You think it's going to go one way, and they completely pull the rug underneath you, and it goes a different way, but I was still entertained. That's all that matters at the end of the day. Oh, yeah, not not bad with that whole cinematic movie fight scene with uh, Taker and AJ. That oh, was actually pretty creative. Spoiler alert, can't wait to get to that, by yeah, the way. Yeah, I know. I heard good things sorry. about it. All, all right, right. football, uh, football, Stephen, what but, you got? Uh, anyway, my uh, thought process that uh, popped up last night was uh, the whole Yannick Ngakwe situation. Do you think the Jags might be holding off a little bit just to use him as a trade uh, during the draft? Uh, I guess uh, fire, if you will. Like, for an example, go to Redskins' number two pick, trade him Yannick Ngakwe because they were going Chase Young anyway, most likely. We get Chase Young, we get Young's replacement, they get the edge rusher they need, and then give them pick 20, and at nine, hell, I mean, go for Javon Kinlaw. Imagine all three of those weapons on our defensive line. Steven, appreciate the call. Thanks, man. Uh, I, I love your thinking. Uh, that would be only if Bill O'Brien were making a trade, they'd get all that. Uh, but uh, they, I, I understand what you're saying, the context of it. And here's the deal. The next 
available time to make a move with Jan because nothing's happened, right? So the next hot time, if it didn't happen right when free agency began, is the draft. That's the next one. Mm-hmm. Will the Jags be able to package Jan and get what they want and move up? And some of that's very, I mean, sure, they have scenarios, but some of that will be a very fluid deal depending on who's left on the board and where they're picking and all those things. I have a hard time believing he's going to move in this draft. And let me tell you why. I think the Jags sitting at nine, they really don't have a lot of motivation to move up. Because in in my view, they can go with four different positions with this ninth overall pick. Wide receiver, offensive lineman, defensive tackle, corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and really, if you wanted to throw one wild card in there, Isaiah Simmons could be that guy if he ends up falling. If he's there. So wh- you don't have to move. Like, you don't have to give up anything. You're going to get a good player in one of those four positions mm-hmm. at number nine without reaching or anything like that. Uh, now, listen, you could make the case that, hey, if Kinlaw's left, uh, are they reaching a little bit? I, I guess some draft experts would tell you. Now, if they go to a second cornerback outside of Akuda, I think they would be reaching. Like, if they're going to pick C.J. Henderson at number nine, I think that'd be a mistake. Uh, that's a little bit high for me. But I've seen him as high as, like, 12 on some of these mock drafts. So, uh, you know, again, they, they well, hopefully know better than us. Uh, but still, wide receivers are definitely going to be in play. Offensive linemen definitely going to be in play. And then you just don't know if one of those guys fall. Derek Brown, Kinlaw. Uh, Derek Brown, uh, Akuda, um, and, and even a Simmons. Correct. So I just don't like. What would be the motivation, other than to get Jan out to move up? They're not going after a quarterback. We don't think, you know, un- unless we're blind to that. And maybe they really love an Akuda or love. I mean, obviously everybody loves Chase Young, but I just don't see them getting up to number two here. So what's the motivation to move? I guess that's what I'm wrestling with when it comes to Yannick Ngakwe and moving on draft day. Yeah, you know, and at the same time, too, with the Redskins, because the Redskins are kind of like the, the hot topic right now, you know, with, with the draft and, and trading up, um, you know, with Chase Young and everything. The Redskins are kind of a unique team because they're a team that I really, to, t- to tell you the truth, I don't think they really need Yannick Ngakwe. Like, I don't think they would really go out of their way to get Yannick Ngakwe. They have Ryan Kerrigan, and I get it, Ryan Kerrigan last year only had five and a half sacks. But the previous year, 13 and a, uh, 13 and a half sacks. You know, like, the, this guy's been a staple um, as a defensive end slash outside linebacker now for, man, it seems like forever. You know, and he's very dependable. Now he's getting older. He is getting older. and But also keep in mind, too, opposite of him, you have Montez Sweat, who had seven sacks last year as a rookie. First-round pick last year. So, like, they... They obviously like Montez Sweat going forward, too, as well. Now, Chase Young, obviously, is slated to go to Washington. I think Chase Young is like one of those guys where he's like a once-in-every-kind-of-generational guy where you're going to bring him in and you're going to find a spot for him, kind of like an Isaiah Simmons, I feel like, where Chase Young is so talented that you cannot deny him, so you have to draft him. It depends if the Redskins think, you know, with the young Yannick Ngakwe, if they think he's going to be a situational guy where it's going to be like we can bring him in, especially in the pass rush game, and work him from there, take over Kerrigan's spot, or do they just see him as maybe just a guy? So I have a hard time coming along and saying the Redskins are super interested right now in Yannick Ngakwe. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and again, then that would would somebody like the Lions, to Okuda, w- could they be? Yeah, I mean, I guess it just depends. Are you that high on a corner that you're going to trade up? To get a corner when you can still get a pretty darn good corner, most likely at 20 or 42. I just don't see that. So I don't think there's much motivation. So to, to Stephen's question, when else would it happen? Well, now I think you're waiting until 
what do I always say? I think the calendar turns to Labor Day. Mm-hmm. That's when I think stuff happens. I don't think you see a lot of trades happen over the summer. You don't see a lot of trades happen, even in training camp. I think could you see something go down with Jan maybe in the Labor Day time frame? Uh, maybe. Uh, I don't know. And then the last part would be the trade deadline, mm-hmm. you know, which would come in, I think, late October. So you really have three more milestone dates on the calendar to move Jan. And that would be the draft. I think I call Labor Day a, my, a milestone because the reason for that is who's hurt coming out of training camp. And it's right at the start of the season. So if you're willing to make a move, you might be a little more antsy to, to give up stuff at that time because the draft is like so far out of your mind. The season is right now. And you might be like, we got to get we got to fix this problem because one of our guys just got hurt. Uh, and then obviously the trade deadline now would favor Jan and f- and hurt the Jags. The longer this goes, I think the less leverage the Jaguars will have unless they're willing to throw the hammer down on a second franchise tag. Keep in mind, too, if the Jaguars actually do try to trade for Akuda, let's say at number three with the Detroit Lions who seem to like him, all things considered, well, let's think about this then. In order to trade up to the number three spot, you probably have to sacrifice, what, another first-round pick? So next year. Next year. So you're essentially you're giving up two first-round picks for Akuda. Basically what you got for Jalen Ramsey. So essentially what you're doing is you're saying we think Akuda's going to be the next Jalen Ramsey. Give up two first-round draft picks and we'll see what happens. That's why they won't do it. That's why they're not going to do it. It's just not their MO to do anything like that. And they're not in that immediate of a rush to win. Exactly. You know, I mean, they're not in that mode that they're like, oh, wow, Jalen or Jalen 2, Akuda, Mm -hmm. would put us over the top. It just wouldn't make um, a lot of sense. Good question, though. (laughs) And, And listen, you never know. Draft day gets emotional. And the less emotion you can show, usually the better you do. Uh, it's the tough thing about draft day. You want to improve your team so much, but a lot of teams that stand pat, yeah. Ravens over the years and start trading back, the Patriots over the years compile and picks. Those are the teams that end up doing uh, a little bit better in the long run, in my opinion. All right, you ask a question, so let's get to the topic. What player uh, going into his second year, yep. excluding Gardner Minshew, by excluding the way, so Gardner exclude Minshew. Gardner Minshew, mm-hmm. uh, has a chance to be a, a bona fide star. Yeah, And, and you gave some examples here. Yeah. Odell Beckham Jr. Correct. Patrick Mahomes. Oh, yeah. Lamar Jackson. Obviously. Funny Jackson, to me, kind of feels like a rookie. Yeah. You know, same way Patrick Mahomes, Mahomes did. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, Jalen Ramsey. Yeah. I think he was the no, second you're right year on the money, man. Was star. 17. Knew him. Bam, he became the best corner in the league. Correct. Right? Yep. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. Another Remember, good he, example. And people forget about this because, like, he obviously had a bad season this past year. But Smith-Schuster, I mean, guy was in every single pizza commercial there was. Like, there was a time where Smith-Schuster was the guy going in 2019. So, I love the parameters of this, too, mm-hmm. right? Because, like, I gave you an example of, like, a DJ Chark who emerged, made a Pro Bowl, jumped out. But, again, if you're in Seattle, Washington, mm-hmm. if you turn on NFL Network, how many times are they talking about DJ Chark? With all due respect, love the kid. But uh, he, he's not that guy. Mm-hmm. Jalen became that guy. He became the pe- that people were talking about. Now, I do think there is one. Uh, Gardner, by the way, became that guy in re- year one. Of course. Uh, but I do think... I think Josh Allen could fit this now. Mm-hmm. I think Josh Allen could, again, if, if we're projecting, based off that rookie year, based on how they use him, and depending on how he does in year two, he could become like the Khalil Mack that people talk about. Why not? Sure. I mean, is that? That's, I don't think that's far-fetched. Could, could Josh yeah. Allen be on a path of Khalil Mack? Why not? I think he could, but my – see, I, I guess we both have different criteria here. I think Josh Allen could definitely be uh, Khalil Mack hands down, without a doubt. And Cleo Mack was definitely a bona fide superstar. Right? Yeah. I mean, he, People were talking he, about him left and he right. He was all pro in two positions. Excuse me? Yeah. A linebacker and defensive end. So, yeah, I mean, the guy's definitely a bona fide superstar. Josh Allen can definitely get to that. 
but I'm going to make another point here. If I go on the street right now and I ask 10 people who led the NFL in sacks last year, how many people are going to actually name the name that led the NFL in sacks last year? Yeah, probably not. And, and my point I mean, is... Aaron Donald still isn't like that, yeah, recognized like true. that. And, and my, my point is... And I brought up Cleo Mack, which is a great point, because Cleo Mack doesn't really fit this mold at all. But I think you have to have success as a team in general, though, in order to be that household name. Right where DJ Chark, obviously, um, the team struggled last year a little bit. Yeah, he had a great year, but he's not the household name quite yet. I think that in order to be like that next rising superstar, you also have to have the team around you to help cultivate that. Yeah, that's a good call, man. Um, I, I don't want to eliminate too many from that conversation, but it's a good call. So here's some of the top rookies, okay, yeah. uh, from a year ago. Bosa, of course, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I feel like he already established himself when they went to the Super Bowl. Yeah. He obviously has the name recognition because of his last name and yeah. his brother. Uh, and he was such a big name coming out of college anyway, a la Chase Young. Sure. So I feel like I he already made it. I think his teammates can actually be the bigger superstar. That that's going to be going to the second year. Uh, Debo Samuel, correct, and yeah. he's on the list. Yeah, yep, yep. So that's a good call again because you're talking about position wise. Mm-hmm. He's got a chance to do that. Yep. Uh, well, keep in mind, Sanders is gone now, so essentially he's probably going to be the man going forward. Yeah. I mean, when you have a name like Debo, that's going to make say, stand out. Don't, no, don't sleep on that, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. As much as maybe Yannick Ngakwe's name hurts him in the national spotlight, sure. I think a guy like Debo could be a fun thing. You'll have nicknames coming off that, play on words coming off that. Of course. And here's the other thing. He's got a GQ quarterback that people want to be a star. Yes. So if Jimmy G has this big year, well, guess who's on the receiving end of that? Of course. And so you're always hearing his name. It's a really good call. And, and they're going to have success most, more than likely next year again as a team for the 49ers. Yeah. Yep. So that's a good call. Uh, how about A.J. Brown? Does he have a chance? <sighs> See, I, I kind of went back and forth with A.J. Brown. Obviously, he had a, a stellar rookie year. But... I think it's obviously it's Henry's team, okay? And I think the passing game is going to always come second, especially in Nashville. I don't think A.J. Brown's going to be the next household name uh, in, in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, oh, yeah, they got too much to wave through there. Yeah. I, I, I hear you. Um, one of the top rookies last year goes under the radar, Terry McLaurin. Mm-hmm. But he's in Washington, man. I, they're just not going to be good enough Correct. Uh, to do it. Here's a guy, though, because everybody loves his story. And his story already came out. Um, and, and then uh, he got hurt at the tail end of the year. But now that he's going to Las Vegas, Josh Jacobs. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, see, I went back and forth on this one, too, because he, his story is insane, man. And obviously the running back position gives you star power. Um, you have to ask yourself, how are the Raiders going to be next year? I think if you look at their team last year, one of the youngest teams in the NFL, I think they can definitely build off it. So there's optimism there. I think Josh Jacobs can definitely be um, a rising star for sure. And what better way than go to a new city and showcase, you know, in Las Vegas and having the rising star in Josh Jacobs. So I agree with you. I think Josh Jacobs could, could be the next star in the NFL. Yeah, and again, I think people like his story and everything. They played that up a lot. I remember those promos that I think NFL Network yeah. was doing, or maybe it was just the NFL uh, in general, which I guess would, would be two of the same. Um who else, man? I mean, you know, There's, this list that I'm looking at in terms of rookies is, is Gardner Minshew is on yeah. there. He's at, down at like number 15. So obviously, you Hunter say, Renfro could he be? Could the no, accountant make I, it I, big? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying Hunter Renfro at all. Um, obviously, Kyler Murray could be, but to me, and then this, so I kind of label him as one, two, three, right? So, uh, for instance, um, Debo Samuel was my number three. Um, Josh Jacobs was number two, and my overall budding superstar right now, you haven't named yet. 
Because because you got to take this into account. Take take the name into the count number one. Take the talent of the team into the count, and take his I guess playing ability into account. Like what what type of player he is. And to me, he's got the trifecta to be a superstar, even though he didn't do that good his, his rookie year. What one could say. Um. I gotta go back to these yeah. picks now. Uh, Do you want another hit? Yeah, give me another hit. Because I'm not even around it right now. My mind's all over the place. Jarvis Landry was featured with him in a commercial when he got drafted. Why am I blanking on this? All right, give it to me. Hollywood Brown. Ah, I should have yeah, said, yeah, you know, yeah. it's funny you said that because when I said A.J. Brown, I was yeah. thinking I'll come back to Hollywood Brown, yeah, and then yeah. I never came back to Yeah, him. listen, I think, I mean, well, the Ravens, listen, they're a physical team. Well, you could say we got Lamar Jackson, you got Mark Ingram, so they're superstars right there, okay? Those are household names, in my opinion, especially Big Trust. I think Mark Ingram's stock yeah, is yeah. higher than ever. Good call. But I think that if the Ravens want to have success, you know, this up-and-coming season, you can't do a repeat of last year because eventually we've seen it. Teams will figure it out. The Tennessee Titans figured it out a little bit. So I think this year it's going to be more of Lamar Jackson relying on his arm than his feet. And what better person to throw it to than the speedster that they call Hollywood Brown. So I just think from the nickname, from his big play potential, playing with the Baltimore Ravens, who are a very hot team right now, I think Marquise Brown can't lose. And he's actually my, my biggest um, pick to go, like, you know, quote-unquote superstar next year. What's cool in this thing is the Jags do have two potential guys, and that Correct. is Gardner Minshew and Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. I mean, they really do. I mean, that's what shows you about that that pick. Uh, I'm going to give you a couple of sleepers, okay? Uh, that, I like it. That keep an eye on. I mean, no, not not bound to happen, but could happen. And one is your guy, Noah Fan. Yeah. Now, if Locke becomes that guy, right, and he mm-hmm. emerges, and he had some signs of it, well, Denver's a high-profile team. Fant could be a fun guy to watch. Tight end's a sexy position in the NFL if you're playing well at it. You better believe it. Now, I don't know if T.J. Hawkinson has the um, the kind of that appeal, like uh, the personality and all that stuff. I just don't know. Mm-hmm. But, again, I'm going to keep an eye on him because year two of tight ends, he starts to find himself a little bit. He could be a star. I mean, he's a top ten pick. Is he every Whoa. bit as everybody thought he would be? Is yeah. he is he starting to replace that next group? Is he Gronk, even though he's not the personality of Gronk? Well, let's be honest. If you're a legit bona fide tight end in the NFL, people are going to know you. W- w- whether you're Travis Kelsey, kind of out there, outrageous, whether you're George Kittle, more of the wrestling kind of reserve guy, or you're Zach Ertz, people are going to know who you are if you're a good tight end. Yeah, good So point. I agree with you. And even Ertz uh, has married to U.S. soccer well, yeah, he's, uh, royalty, <laughs> exactly. so that helps too, right? Doesn't uh, hurt. And then the last one here, and this is this is really not going – I don't think it's going to happen. Put it on the books and see what you got. But Nikhil Harry. And when I say that, even though with Brady gone, if somehow Belichick, like many people do think, it could could get this team in contention, mm-hmm. they could win. Whether whoever their quarterback is, well, Harry will probably have to be an emerging star in that. So mm-hmm. if that's why I say these are sleeper picks, because if the story is, holy cow, look what the Patriots are doing without Tom Brady, well, you're probably going to point to a guy like Nikhil Harry as having an emerging sophomore season. The one guy that we didn't bring up. Last year, you could arguably say he had probably the biggest influence on his offense. Um, you know, and then that, that's DK Metcalf. Yeah, that's do, you, do, do you think DK Metcalf has an opportunity? Yeah, I do. I mean, because you could start making like transformers out him. of them. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> Look at him. <laughs> I mean, you yeah. really could. It's just, I mean, Seattle's tough up there it is. now. It is. It's tough to. But Russell Wilson's Russell Wilson, so he's already gotten appeal to him. Sure. 
Uh, yeah, it's a really good call. We probably should have had him pretty high on the list, really. Yeah, see, I just didn't. I mean, you're right, because DK Metcalf should be the guy, but just the, the, that Seahawks offense, is, it's always kind of an enigma to me. And I get it. It's Russell Wilson's team now, but for whatever reason, I still think they're going to be like that, that run first team and then rely on Russell Wilson's arm secondly. I don't know. Yeah, be interesting to see uh, yeah. if they can do that. Uh, some of your responses when we come back. And also, how did I do in my picks? At WrestleMania. Was it as good as everybody said, or were you just starving for something to watch? <laughs> Next on ESPN 690. I know you've heard the story about Drew Brees, and you know, we were going to sign him in Miami, and um, you know we didn't pass him on the physical, so we couldn't sign him, so he went to New Orleans and had a great career. Um, won a Super Bowl, been in the Pro Bowl lots of times, and... Um, you know, and I, I just thought that when we missed the window of getting the quarterback, and, and that we we were going to have a hard time being successful there. We didn't have a quarterback. As Nick Saban didn't pass the. I mean, Nick, yeah, tell the truth. What happened though, right? Because then Drew Brees wanted like he had a stipulation in his contract with whoever signs him, he had to be the starter, and Miami wasn't ready to name him the starter if he came in. So that's why they didn't sign him. I don't know. He didn't pass the physical. Which doesn't make any sense because the New Orleans sign him in passive physical. I guess everybody's phys doctors can be yeah, different. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, yeah. So the, uh, the interesting part about that is Saban got out of Dodge pretty quick <laughs> after they found out they didn't get the quarterback. And, yep. You know, in a couple of years, boom, he was he was out of there. So um, Nick Saban with a little story, uh, backstory on the Drew Brees front. Uh, the NFL, by the way, in the last hour. They have informed teams it'll be a virtual draft this year. Uh, GMs and head coaches will be drafting from their homes. There's more to this. Adam Schefter saying uh, out of this memo because he read it and I haven't. Uh, NFL teams <laughs> cannot gather at one person's home, each person for him or herself during the draft. <laughs> Nothing like a bunch of 60-year-old like men trying to work Zoom now. and yeah. Oh, there's going to be so many discrepancies, so many excuses. I can see it now. Can you wait yeah, until like, like five years down the line when their pick is a bus or something? Oh, well, yeah. you know, the, uh, the Zoom meeting glitched, and I thought they said this can name and not. Well, can you imagine playing the Minnesota Vikings where they didn't make a pick in time? We were just yeah. talking about that the other day. We were, oh. we were saying that. Like, can they give I them bet, more time, by the way? I bet there will be leniency. No, they can't. Usually, like, I mean, but what didn't it used to be fifteen instead of five? Yeah, was well, that, it is. It's it's still. I think it's still fifteen, or maybe it's ten now. But it, yeah, whatever it is, oh, it okay. changes for round to round. round yeah, you know, yeah. for that first round versus the rest. That's right. But, but the um, the idea of say that time ran out and they didn't get it in, I would imagine this year there could be some leniency to that. I would think. Yeah. Based off technology and everything else. I would sure. think. I don't know. Uh, yeah. We'll see. But it's, like he like Schefter says here too, and he's not wrong. I mean it's basically gonna be like a fantasy football draft, like how everybody does it. Yeah. Except except the fantasy football draft that like you do from your yeah. house, not that you go to the local establishment and, and have a party for. It. Yeah, yeah. I think it was on uh Golic and Wingo they were talking about I even for like the broadcast of it, they were gonna use like Madden to simulate the the player walking on stage to accept <laughs> I, yeah I heard that I don't know how to feel about that, that. yeah <laughs> kind no, of that's cheap, what I heard. feels cheap right like well yeah well yeah. here's the thing though like listen if you watch did you see any of uh you wouldn't have seen it you would watch WrestleMania but you and they might have done it. some of this stuff at WrestleMania I don't know but it, they had like uh, you're supposed to have the Country Music Awards last night 
And it, so they did oh. it anyway, but they oh, had no. all this stuff like taped okay. from people's houses. But and by the way, hey, Brent, I didn't watch it. I knew you okay. didn't watch it. <laughs> but like Tim McGraw, I think he, he did uh, his song Humble and Kind, but he did it through Zoom. So he, and they were in four different places. So he had like the guitar was on, on one corner of yeah. it. He was singing on another corner of it, you know. So they That's did it that cool. way. Yeah. So the bottom line is there's really no different. I mean, you basically still have your conference call with Shad Khan somewhere. Yeah. Uh, Dave Caldwell somewhere, Doug Marone somewhere, personnel scout, wherever. You know, the people that you see in war rooms, they'll have their own little hookup, and then you still have to get the, the, the pick in somehow. But you can have those conversations as my You just got to make sure that your Wi-Fi is on point, number one. Yeah. And, and number two, there is no auto-drafting, okay? So <laughs> make sure you're present. <laughs> yes, okay, all right, let's just let it get a little pick. We can't log into your Zoom account. It's all auto-drafted for you. That's true. We, Del, Del Rio couldn't go to the buffet at home on this no, one. for sure. <laughs> We, we need to look up uh, players' names and how closely alike they could potentially sound and if they will if they have a chance to go to that team at that pick. So say it's like number nine. We have two players. If their last name sounds the same and they're on the Zoom meeting and they want to go one, but there's a lag in the name and the other. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now we're talking. This will create some interesting things. But you're talking about a billion and billion and billion dollar industry. They will find out a way to make it crisp and clean and probably pretty good, I would think. Yeah. I, I bet there will be something. They, they are working on this. Pixin, they are know? working on this day and night. Sure. You know, and they will have it, it'll look good. I oh, bet it will look I'm good. Not- I mean, listen, like I told you, I don't need the pop and circumstance. I don't need the guys giving Roger Goodell a hug. All I need is names on the bottom and teams. And that's all I need. And I'll be happy because then I can sit here and speculate, well, he's going here. He's going here. That's all you need, man. You don't need all the pageantry and stuff. I'm not going to watch it. I was thinking of two things, okay? One uh, being, like, Vegas now misses his chance at the draft. Now, there's Mm -hmm. some thought that they could jump back in in 2022. I said that would have been, like, the most Jags thing ever if Jacksonville was hosting the draft this year and it got canceled because of the pandemic, (laughs) right? Um, But uh, uh, a little footnote to that is, you know, my Ruth Chris bet, I think, now gets an extra year. Ah, uh, that wasn't in the that wasn't in the bet though. I know we got to make a stipulation here. Nobody saw a pandemic I mean, yeah, coming. That's a good point, Brett. Yeah, I mean, I mean like, if, how about this? If Vegas gets in the rotation sometime between now and then, done. Then I get an extra year on the bet. Done. All I right. Like it. Yep. Fair enough. So, uh, okay, a couple of responses by the way for our last topic. Um, well, we got one response here. It's more drama than just money going on in Houston with DeAndre Hopkins. That could be. Uh, Mike Widener says Josh Allen uh, on that's who's going to become a star, and, and that's not a wrong answer, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, Hollywood Brown says Josh. If I he can you, make Josh. a DJ Chark-like jump on a super-hyped Baltimore team, yeah. he's got a shot. And that was your number one pick, right? The number one pick. Uh, Jack Stan says Devin White. This is a good, good one. Got to have a lot of eyes on that team next year with Brady. White becomes a, a star. Not a bad Pick. Yeah, I mean, I know how you're feeling about the defensive guys right now. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Outside a corner, I still think the edge rusher has a chance. Like the Bosa, Bosa has a chance to be like that yeah, too. Yeah, I but mean, Von Miller was in a prestigious category. Like, I mean, yeah. you, you can be an edge rusher and have success, but I think your team still has to be good as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and corner probably is the most likely. Like Jalen did, right? Correct. To be that brash and keep in mind, sound again, guy. His second year, he had some success. The team did. Had a lot of it. Yeah. There you go. Tom, by the way, says slightly off topic, but you were talking about it. After the draft, I assume the two first-rounders to sign Yannick become a 21 and a 22. That might make it more palatable for a team. Palatable, very good word, of the day. Uh, Yeah, I guess that's a a fair point. It it would be more looking down the road. 
it's still not going to be two first rounders. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't think that's even the game anymore with Jan. I, I think it's a first rounder and what else uh, at this stage of it. All right, didn't get to my WrestleMania picks. We'll do a little bit of that coming up. I hope so. Must be your segment. How about we play a little Ben Gamble, Milwaukee Brewers, oh, and nice. WrestleMania in this segment. This is Austin's segment. Do you have any Murray State uh, audio, too, to go with it? No, but we have you breaking down a movie as well. So this really okay. is your segment. Coming up next on ESPN <laughs> 690. I'm going to eat. <laughs> We are live at West Cannon as the Coyotes break the huddle for one final play. Parents are praying in the stands, religion and football, two of Texas's greatest exports. Coyotes down by three, not kicking a field goal to tie the game, going for the win. Jonathan Moxon has been nothing short of sensational here in the second half. Head coach Bud Kilmer nowhere to be seen. Jet motion, pro set. Ball is snapped. Charlie Tweeter with a nice little inside route. Looking here, John Mox drops back, surveys the field. Horrible pass rush by number 70. Truck driving right down the middle. How do they teach him at Gilroy? Tweeter really wants the ball, overselling it to the nth degree. (laughs) Austin Lane with a little varsity blues redo. You know, he's been telling us he wants to do this. So he finally did it. And now he says every Sunday he's going to do it. He's going to take a clip that he likes from the movies, football movie. And, uh, well, kind of make it his own, as he did. Uh, if you missed that on Twitter yesterday, there's more of it. That was about 30 seconds of it. There's two minutes of it. Uh, follow Austin Lane on uh, Twitter. Not Austin Lane 1. Austin Lane. A train. That's who you follow. And uh, you can see the uh, Varsity Blues review. What is uh, next uh, on the uh, docket next Sunday's game? Yeah, it's going to be a surprise. Surprise? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's going to be a surprise. Um, this one's going to date back to the 90s as well. A little spoiler alert. It's going to date back to the 90s. Um, it's going to be a college breakdown. And it's ridiculous. And that's all I'm going to say about it. What? How did you pick this? Uh, that scene? Was it tough? No, the, not at all. Cause you it, knew you were going well, that scene. It, it was the final play. Of the, I mean, it's, uh, Brent, it's, yeah. for, it's for the district championship. What more do you want? Do you, <laughs> you think you'll have uh, trouble picking which scene? In some of these, um, or do you already have usually, some in your mind? No, I mean, there's going to be game winners eventually. If this thing, you know, um, gets popular, then I'll start have to like to do some more plays, you know. So I have a lot of plays in my mind. I can probably get us through at least halfway through the regular NFL season. So we're all good right now. I like it. Yeah. Uh, how long did that take? <clears throat> um. Well, I didn't know how I was going to do it first because, like, originally what I thought of was just playing the video and then talking over it. And then that wasn't going to work because obviously the audio from the video kind of clashed with my mic skills. So eventually I figured out how to go on uh, an iMovie, cancel out the like the footage, and then just implement my audio in. So when I got got it figured out, probably took me about I don't know twenty minutes or so. You might be hired in TV land with all that kind Let's of editing. Let's go, editing. man. I Let's like go, it. man. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but but I, I just found it comical that they were celebrating a district championship because. Usually, where I come from, at least state championships are the are the key thing, yeah. right? But like in a, in a lot of movies, like I think I think any given it's not any given Sunday, but I think um, 
Friday Night Lights was the same thing, where it's like, we got to win the district championship. This is what it's all about. Well, then go to state. And they actually go to state and get beat. Spoiler alert. But uh, <laughs> but it seems like district championships are a big deal in Texas. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, we're going to talk a little WrestleMania in just a moment, so get ready. Prep for that. But before we do that, Todd is on the line. Let's finish off the football topic. Uh, wants to talk you on and trade scenario, I believe. Todd, what's happening? Thanks for uh, jumping in on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. All right, guys. I was just wondering if it would be a smart idea to maybe, if we can't get good draft capital for you on, maybe trade player for player, like trading him straight up for like somebody like Vaughn Miller. What would you guys think about that? Uh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Uh, I, I doubt it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think Denver will, will I understand the age thing and it's slipping down, yeah, go yeah. younger. Uh, first of all, I don't think the Jags would do that. Uh, I don't know if they'd see a lot of value in a Von, oh, I love value in Von Miller, but. <laughs> I was going to say careful now, bro. Well, but what you got to do is you, you think in two or three years, like when right now the way this thing is, is set up. Yeah. Are you better off getting a guy and. That might be what, like some 32, 33 years old, uh, but still having them for the time being until you're ready to go get it. You know, like putting the Calais Campbell piece together when they did was right because mm-hmm. they're like, hey, we we can do this. We can go get it right now. Well, it worked out that they came at least close. By the way, Calais Campbell well, named to the all-decade team today. Yeah. I didn't mention that, and I should have. So uh, congratulations. Continue to pile up the resume for potentially a trip to Canton, Ohio someday. That would be nice. And keep in mind, if you do trade for Von Miller, you take on his contract as well. So you got to pay him around $18 million for his contract. And then it's only going to be a one-year thing because 2022 is a free agent. Yeah. So yeah. And how yeah, old is how old is Vaughn now? Vaughn Miller is 31 years old. Yeah. So again, I mean, it's it's kind of like the Calais deal, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not saying Vaughn's got nothing left. I just don't know if that's the right time for one of those kind of moves. Now, yeah. once his contract expires and you got a hundred million dollars yeah. laying around or yeah. whatever it might be, yeah. now he might be a piece that you add on, but you don't need to give up to get Correct. in that situation. But I mean, I, again, I get the context. It's not just Von Miller. The player-to-player deal for Jan is is a good idea. Just got to find the right player. Like again, exactly. Trent Williams makes so much sense, but the Redskins don't you don't seem to make much sense for a landing spot for Yannick Ngakwe. So. Who can you find? Somebody brought up the other day, Matt, Matt uh, Judon from Baltimore. He's under the franchise tag. Well, I don't think they're looking to get rid of him. I, I think they're trying to get an extension, and he fits their defense. Uh, not to say Jan couldn't, mm-hmm. but depending on what the Jags are playing, will Judon fit here as well as he fits yeah. there? Those are certainly some uh, question marks. Well, and that's why I was so adamant about like a guy like Zach Ertz, you know, who's, I mean, he's definitely a bona fide tight end. They have Dallas Goddard as well in Philadelphia, but obviously Philadelphia could be in the market for a pass rushing defensive end. So, like, to me, that makes a little more sense than a Von Miller type. Like a Von Miller, you'd go after if you're one piece away from winning the Super Bowl or going the Super Bowl, you know, because he could put you over the top. Yeah. Unfortunately, now in the Jacksonville Jaguars, the way they're constructed right now as a roster, they don't have all those tools to go to the Super Bowl, so it makes no sense to bring Von Miller in for a one-year lease. Yeah, it really doesn't seem to. Uh, yeah. All right, uh, here's the deal. WrestleMania happened. Yeah, it two happened. Day event. Was it the first time it was a two-day event? First time event? it was a two-day event, Brent. How did they do? You know what? And... I think like me and Gary were pretty on the on the nose of what we thought was going to happen really like there were some matches that were obviously filler but overall for what was you know at stake here with no crowd I thought it was a win for you know for for WrestleMania um in itself because you got to keep in mind like the the sport of professional wrestling 
it's all predicated really on the crowd, Brent, you know, and like the crowd's reaction. That's what makes the sport so great. Like if you've ever been to a live wrestling event, you know how special it can be. And keep in mind, when you have that crowd noise, well, that can kind of mask some of the wrestlers talking to each other, right? Because usually how it works is they don't have this thing pre-scripted. You know, there's one wrestler who kind of calls his shots or whatever like that, and then the other wrestler will follow it. So they, 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 they kind of call a lot of their bumps and their spots. Not like, yeah, those big spots where they jump off a cage or like they powerbomb somebody through a table. Like those are already pre-planned. Yeah. But a lot of the matches that you watch usually on TV, they're just kind of like, you know, they're, they're ad Yeah, they're ad exactly. So this had to be a little different, right? Because this was a little more scripted, I believe, just because you couldn't have wrestlers talking to each other. So it was different from that standpoint, but this really gave, in my, and this is what's so great about professional wrestling, Brent. This is why I'm such a big fan of it. Because in the world of sports, you have sports like football baseball and basketball those are exact things if you're a football fan i can put on the game from a couple years ago between the chiefs and the rams and you're going to tell me that was an instant classic remember the, the, the monday night game where they scored like whatever 100 something points you know total i can tell you that's an instant classic mm-hmm. right and every football fan is going to agree with me i can show you the the, the highlight film of Odell beckham jr making that crazy catch and people are going to say that was a fantastic catch no one's going to say it's not if you're a football fan but if you're a wrestling fan this is why I love the sport so much because it's subjective. It's an art form. I can I can put on a wrestling match and you can be a wrestling fan and you can either hate it or love it. And I can ask ten people and maybe five feel one way, five feel the other way. When we're talking about what people love and what hated from WrestleMania, I think we can all agree. Like you know the the Brock Lesnar match. I mean it was short. We kind of expected that. It was okay. I think we we can all agree that the Goldberg match taken on Braun Strowman. It was just kind of a filler. It's supposed to be like this big title match. It lasted maybe two minutes. It is what it is. Goldberg got absolutely squashed. By the way. But what really stood out to me from WrestleMania, and I think people will agree with me here, whether they liked it or they hated it, but they felt some way about it, was Undertaker versus AJ Styles, and it was uh, um, Bray Wyatt versus John Cena. These matches didn't take place in a ring, okay? The, The Undertaker match versus AJ Styles took place in the middle of some woods in Florida. Okay, and it was it was up there with like the ridiculousness of, of, of like a roadhouse mixed with like special effects from like a Michael Bay movie. Okay, on paper I put that down here and tell me that sounds like the dumbest thing ever. And you know what? If I didn't see it for myself, I probably would have said it was the dumbest thing ever. But it was so insane, so over the top. I loved it, man. And like, and it's so funny too because you know wrestling. I shared with my son. He's a big fan. My son couldn't stand. My, my son went to bed. Like, he was all excited. It's WrestleMania weekend. Let's stay up late. Let's eat candy. You got it, man. Like, let's do this together. I can't wait to share this moment with you. The Undertaker-AJ Styles match comes on. And keep in mind, it's not in a ring where my son Ronan's accustomed to seeing. He's five years old. We're, We're talking about it like a graveyard match. We're talking about somebody actually getting buried in a grave. My son saw that and thought it was, like, actually real life. You know, like, he, he couldn't take it. He's like, this is too scary. In which case, I turned to him and said, well, if you can't handle the heat, get out of the kitchen. All right, this is then this is dad's time. <laughs> Up to bed. Exactly. But it was so off the wall ridiculous that it worked. And then by far my favorite match of the night, I think Gary would agree with me if he called in. Um, I think a lot of wrestling fans would agree with me. And then that's Bray Wyatt and John Cena. And I said going into this match, it was probably going to be my favorite. And it delivered in the most ludicrous way po- uh, possible. You know, I mean. I'm not going to sit here for 20 minutes and try to set up this story, but basically how it goes is John Cena six years ago beat Bray Wyatt. And people want to say that that moment when John Cena beat Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania kind of killed Bray Wyatt's career. He had all the momentum. He lost on the biggest stage, and nobody took Bray Wyatt seriously anymore. Well, he has the resurgence. He uh, he has kind of a new character, and they have the rematch. 
And what made this match, in my opinion, so stellar and probably one of the best matches that I can recall, there was really no wrestling, okay? There was... Um, to say the least, it was just like, it was like a montage, if you will. Like, they showed old, old highlights. They had John Cena dress up in his old uniform that he first rocked, uh, his very first night. And then, you know, in professional wrestling, like, it was just crazy things like that. But what made it work is the fact that, you know, John Cena, he's the big name, right? The guy's everywhere. John Cena, for the first time in his life, acknowledged that he's ridiculous. Okay, the, the, the guy wears jean shorts. He's got way too many, you know, armbands around his arms. There is no way that his gimmick should have been as popular as it was. But for some reason, people gravitated towards it. And for the first time ever, John Cena actually made fun of himself. <laughs> and then John Cena acknowledged that, you know what? Professional wrestling's pretty crazy. I shouldn't be where I'm at right now as this mega ultra superstar going to be the next Fast and Furious. But guess what? I am. And he did Bray Wyatt a favor because he made Bray Wyatt look like the absolute man. So props to John Cena for doing that. And that's what made the match so spectacular. It's the fact that John Cena was willing to actually make fun of himself for once because you've never seen it before. All right, let's see how I did on the picks, all yep. right? Uh, I had Elias. One. Yep, I hey, had him too. one for yeah. one. Yep. Uh, Bryant? Uh, Daniel Bryan lost. Uh, Daniel Bryan, yeah. Yep. Oh, shoot. I saw, like, a highlight on Twitter, yeah. too. I was like, oh, good. I bet I got that one. Yep. No, no yes, yes, no, yes. No, 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 yes, yes, yes. No, 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 no. Uh, Kabuki Warriors. They got beat, unfortunately, and my son was bummed about that one big time. Uh, Ripley? Rhea Ripley taking on Charlotte Flair. Yeah, you, you picked Rhea Ripley, man. Charlotte Flair. Come on, man. Yeah. yeah it was Sh- Flair. Charlotte Flair won. Yeah, that was a bad pick by yeah. me. But to be fair, Flair was the underdog. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Cena lost. Cena got beat. Yep. Uh, Styles got beat. <laughs> Who you thought was the Undertaker's son, by the way, which I still can't get out of my mind. <laughs> yes. Styles got beat. Edge. Edge won. And All by the way, that was like a 37-minute match. And it, it was a last-man standing match. They essentially went around the entire performance center wrestling. 37 minutes. Goldberg lost. Lost. Becky Lynch. Becky Lynch won. Ah, Surprising. Yeah, you, Surprising. I you, thought for sure yeah, she's going to be. Yeah. And uh, Lesnar uh, lost. Oh, I yeah. got, that's uh, three, six, nine, ten. I got three of them right. Yeah, three and ten. You got six of them. I won six and, and ten. And I think you, you and Gary were probably right on. Yeah, I think Gary actually won. I think Gary won seven or eight out of ten. Because I remember Gary had the same for me, but he had, um, he had Lesnar getting beat, and he might have had Goldberg getting beat. So he, I think he went eight out of ten. Wow. Yeah. Impressive. That's why he's got a wrestling podcast. Uh, that's, that's why he does have that. Yeah. Um, I have two questions, I think, just to hit me with it. Well, first of all, the one that got everybody's attention, even like I wasn't watching, yeah. is the Undertaker match. Yeah, that hit, lit up everything. So yeah. obviously that was a big hit. It was awesome. So it was a lot based on the cinemate- uh, cinematic part of that, of right? Of course. Yeah, it was just so ridiculous. So yeah. will we see more of that in wrestling? You know what? <sighs> I think especially in the times that we're in now, right, with no live crowds for a while, um, that's the only viable solution, you know, and this is what makes All Elite Wrestling so good is because they kind of specialize in that a little bit. So I think we'll see that going forward. I'm not sure if my son's going to be into it, obviously, because he's, you know, scared out of his mind right now. He, he witnessed a grown man get buried, but um, I think that's going to be the future of professional wrestling, especially now with the, the coronavirus and everything. And COVID-19. the other one that got everybody going, I think, outside of people that were watching it was like, I mean, heck, Sports Center was tweeting it out. Uh, when when Gronk won the the title, yeah. what now? What, we didn't pick that match, right? No, that but, was a, but we talked about how to think he would do hosting. So it. that was the thing. How did he do? And yeah. I mean, it was like a no brainer to make Gronk have a moment, right? Sure, yeah, that was a no brainer. Keep in mind, this is pre taped. Okay, so there's a lot of takes. 
Wasn't a fan of Gronk hosting it. I don't, think, I don't think he added anything special. Hey, do you know how many uh, Super Bowls Gronk won? He, he won three of them. Do you know why? Because the WWE shoved it down my throat at least 20 times per <laughs> night. Okay, so we, we've established that Gronk has three titles now. Thank you, WWE. Listen, I think they could do a lot more if it was going to be a live show in front of a, an audience, right, to get a reaction. Unfortunately, here I just came across as it was extra added fluff that I don't think you needed, man. All right? I, I think you had a nice setup. I think you had some great wrestling. You didn't have to sprinkle on Gronk on top of it, but obviously we'll see where it goes forward. He has the 24-7 belt now, so they're going to play off that. It is what it is. You know what? It, it wasn't for me, Brent. You know, because yeah. uh, I'm already like a diehard wrestling fan, so it was for the casual observer. I was going to say, it's a good thing to pull people. Again, I noticed exactly. it on the yeah. weekend yeah. because them, everybody they're, they're was tweeting their job. about it. Yeah. So, um, then they're doing their job. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. that that's that's the way you get some new folks in there. So, yeah. all right, WrestleMania did pretty well then. I was pleasantly Better surprised. Than expected. I was very I was pleasantly surprised, yes. All right. Your turn, AEW. Yeah, see what you got. Yep. <laughs> that's uh <laughs> that's what's next. Hey, uh let's totally pivot and go to baseball mm-hmm. and uh some sad news to pass along in baseball. Uh, Al Kaline, uh, former Detroit Tiger great, uh, passed away today at the age of 85. 3,000 hit guy, longtime broadcaster too of the uh, Detroit Tigers. It's a name like even as a kid you kind of knew. You know, you, one of those legendary names um, that played in yesteryear, at least from what I'm considered uh, in, in my age group, definitely yours. Yeah. But uh, so Al Kaline, the uh, great Detroit Tiger, uh, dead at the age of uh, 85, passed away today. It, you know, a uh, little-known story about me. I was a Tigers fan for about a minute before I was a Red Sox fan. Really? Yeah, because um, I had relatives that lived in Detroit okay. or the Michigan area. I don't know if it was right in Detroit. And the first game I ever saw uh, in person was the Detroit Tigers hmm. in Detroit Stadium, old Tiger Stadium. Yeah, yeah. And so that was uh, the first game I ever saw. So I was kind of like a Tiger. And at that same time, the Tigers ended up playing, I think, the Padres in 1984 in the World Series. And so before Kirk Gibson hit his home run, like with the Dodgers, he was big on the Tigers, all those. Yeah. Uh, they had a bunch of great players. And so I was that's kind of when I started watching sports. Yeah. So I watched the Tigers play in the World Series that year. I had gone to a game. It was my first game before even Fenway Park. And so I was a Tigers fan for a little bit. Then I think 86 kind of got me onto the Red Sox because you. it was the cool thing to do, you know, where I'm from. <laughs> for sure. Well, it helps cheering for a team that won a World Series right away, too. I mean, yeah, that, I mean, I was a bandwagon jumper. It makes it a little bit lucrative. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to lie. Something <laughs> That's I, how um, it works. Yeah, something I want to know real quick. Um, you said Detroit was your, kind of your team growing up a little bit. I know you're a big Dolphins guy, Dan Reno. Who was your college football team growing up? I didn't have, didn't have one. one. College football, all. college football in New England, man. It's, it's not like, that, it's but, like, but you still didn't like follow a team or anything. Uh, closest thing would be Notre Dame because you're a bunch of Catholics in, in <laughs> Rhode yeah, Island. And sure. my gra- I remember my grandfather watching because he served in the in the Navy as well. So uh, he watched Navy play okay. and whenever they were on TV, and I remember wa- him watching Notre Dame. Gotcha. Um, and like they. They were, he wasn't even like a big sports guy, but he watched some college football. Though. So that's really all I remember. <laughs> though I do remember college football-wise, like I always say this, and this is really no uh, no um, offense to Gator fans or not, but I've always, when I grew up in, in like the 80s and I'm watching all that stuff on TV and I'm becoming this huge sports fan, and I'm listening to Keith Jackson and everybody do the games on college football. I mean, I remember Notre Dame. I remember Miami. I remember Florida State. Mm-hmm. I remember all those kind of USC. Uh, those are the teams that really stick out to me. Like Florida, not at all. Now that adds up, by the way, because if you if you're talking about the mid to late '80s, Florida 
was one on probation, not very two, not very good until Spurrier comes along in the early 90s. And then I'm in high school and, you know, whatever. But I'm just saying from a for a, a, an area of the country that is not like a hotbed for college football, that Gator logo really didn't it, it didn't do much yeah. for me. Like I, I didn't remember seeing it. I don't remember seeing it. I remember in the night, uh, mid nineties, you know, the Spurrier and Warfel years, those coming along, but I'm telling Florida state always remember Miami. Always. Oh, Miami you, you remember sure, all, you know? I was growing up Miami. I'll tell you sure. what else, like Oklahoma, Nebraska. I mean, Oklahoma, Nebraska was huge at the, those mm-hmm. times. And I remember that so much more so. So it's interesting how, you know, it, it again goes to show you, depending on what era you grew up in that, uh, the Florida Gators, you know, came on in, in the Spurrier years in those early 90s and all the way through the 90s to become now what a national name, yeah. a, a national powerhouse uh, that people relate to strong football. It, they didn't do that when I was growing up when I was six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. That didn't sure. resonate at all. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I think that they're a third fiddle, right? Because you had Miami, who was the cool team when I was growing up, yeah. man. Like, I think I still have two pairs of, you know, remember like those, uh, what are they called, Z- Zubas, those pants. <laughs> I had two pair of Zubas pants. I had like uh, Ibis, or whatever the, the the mascot of Miami. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I had two pairs of those Zubas pants. Uh, that? That was so cool. Thing. Was, oh, dude, who you telling, man? It might have been. Telling? To be honest with you, that Miami team might have been like one of the coolest. They have well, to be tops on the list of coolest college teams of all time in yeah. any sport, really. And, and like, even Duke, even it doesn't matter. Sure. I think they have that Miami team has to be in the most influential program in college history i would think i'm just saying that off the top i've never really thought about it that much but i gotta believe well and here's the messed up thing man like i grew up in in wisconsin in the midwest we didn't have cable so all we got was two channels miami was never on that's the same thing man i was i was like still got out like miami still was the cool team like if you go to any kind of rummage sale garage sales (laughs) there's gonna be miami gear on for sale that's what i'm saying man like they were just that legit of a team even though i didn't get to watch that much like to me it was you know as the wolverines michigan because like they were pretty dominant charles woodson brian greasy like those are the guys in the midwest but miami was still that team man yeah that's a good call uh interesting uh all right back to the baseball side of things uh sewer weber caught up with ben gamble uh from bishop kenny jacksonville guy uh, he's bouncing around new Orleans. go go back and read the story of ben gamble and he's been very successful with seattle and now with milwaukee and mm-hmm. he's become a part of their outfield rotation and done very well but this will be th- this is a reminder that baseball takes a long time i want to say he was drafted by the new york yankees i think it was 2010 but it was right around that time it it took six or seven years for him to get to the big leagues and now become a guy that's a that can be a regular, you know, mm-hmm. can be a part of, of a big league team. Really good hitter. Obviously, his brother, Matt Gable, uh, played as well uh, for the Brewers, um, had a couple of uh, knee surgeries that ended his career. Uh, Stuart Weber catching up with Ben Gamble, who uh, we caught up with while he was hitting in a cage here in town, just awaiting for that baseball season to start. Here with Milwaukee Brewers Major Leaguer Ben Gamble. Ben getting some extra work in out at the park uh, while home. Just kind of a, a weird situation for everyone involved where you kind of have to figure out what to do while waiting for the sports world to get started again. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, fortunately, there's tons of cages around the city that you can come out and get work in. And, but, um, yeah, I definitely had to be more creative. What was the whole experience like during spring training when you guys found out and then just kind of had to put a pause on it? I mean, yeah, it's just for, very foreign. Um, you know, obviously, season should be underway right now. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's just tough to put into, you know, words. Um, you know, it's just, just foreign, I think, more than anything. 
but it's still a time where guys like you can come out and get some work. There, there's always stuff to get better at. There's always things to improve on, and uh, it's clearly what you're kind of doing right now. No doubt, just trying to stay sharp. Um, you know, it's going to come around again, so you know, just trying to be ready when it does come. Come back full circle. Talking about being ready, I'm sure you guys as the Brewers are pretty excited about this upcoming season and just the opportunities abound and uh, getting to go back with that group that you guys have assembled with Milwaukee. No doubt, no doubt. You know, we're having a blast in spring training. Um, it's a great group of guys we got in, got in Milwaukee. Um, everyone, you know, it's a real loose clubhouse. Everyone gets together well, so you know, definitely looking forward to it. Has the team been in contact at all as far as scenarios, shortened seasons, what to kind of expect to, to kind of keep you guys at ease a little bit in your mind? Yeah, you know, I've heard about any and every scenario. Um, but, you know, it's something that I think we'll all take in stride and um, look forward to get it going. All right, that's Ben Gamble. Thanks so much. Yeah, Ben Gamble and Stuart Weber uh, catching up. Uh, that was actually from last week. Is it, It's really interesting, you know, uh, how many you go to a field and and now you're less likely to because of the safer at home and and everything's um you know on friday pretty much said stay home yeah. uh, so i think you'll see even less of this but in the first couple of weeks of what was going on you go to a field down in julington creek you go to a field in jack's beach you go to a field in atlantic beach you run into all these whether it's football whether it's baseball all these guys that are played in the NFL, big-time college, or, or Major League Baseball, the minor leagues, they're all just out on the field like it's high school or Little League all over again, just trying to get some work in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. It's, I guess baseball, it's got to be, I mean, listen, you can do push-ups, you can do a workout in your garage, but like baseball, it's, it's all about timing, I feel like, and it's all about getting your motions down, and that's hard to do in short, confined spaces, so... Yeah, I mean, I think being a baseball player now, it's got to drive you a little bit crazy. I mean, yeah, you can go outside, play catch and things like that, you know, practice that social distancing. But as far as hitting the ball, that's got to be rough right now. Well, and I do think that's the biggest thing, uh, even for pitchers, too. Uh, and a lot of these guys will say, hey, the baseball season will start when the pitchers are ready. Mm. Because they're the ones that the wear and tear, mm -hmm. you know, uh, sure, it's nice to get some live reps and stuff as a hitter. But the pitchers are the ones. Do they need two weeks? Do they need three weeks? Do they need four weeks? It, how much can you really pitch? You can do some armband stuff, but but can you really let it loose? Mm -hmm. And depending on where you're at and what kind of house you have and if you have your own private catcher, I'm sure you can find a way. But that will be the dictate how long they most likely do spring training again once they get this up and rolling, hopefully. Uh Hitting-wise, though, I believe, like whether it's like the kids, Ty and Kaylee, or any high school kid or college kids or the big leaguers and minor leaguers, live pitching, there's nothing like it. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I, I say oh, my kids could be cage animals, man. I feel like they're going to be like professional when they're in the cage sometimes. And then you get out in the field, it's a totally different thing. Yeah. It's just totally different off live pitching and pitch recognition and timing and like you're saying. So that is a lot to go through and miss for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, mm -hmm. and that's tough to do in this time. It's really, I don't know how you do it. Well, I mean, I only throw about 58. So here's, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so here's the thing, though. Assuming that baseball does come back, and maybe there's a spring training to get everybody acclimated again, which would be the smart thing to do, what's it going to look like, though? Is it, is it going to be the offensive explosion that we saw last year? Great because call. one could argue it's probably not going to be. You could. Uh, it could be a lot of fresh arms, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good call. I don't know. And and by the way, there was some word in spring training that the ball was back to normal. <laughs> of course it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, of So course. how will that look and play out? How would it have this year anyway? Yeah. Would have been pretty fascinating to see. Uh, a little baseball talk. When we come back, Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690, we get back to the football side of things. 
as well as the Jags prep for the draft coming up in just a couple weeks. We'll be right back. It's the culmination. It's a culmination, man. I, you know, you put countless hours into this. You dedicate yourself to a craft. You take no days off. You play through injury. You play through, you play through demise. You play through obstacles. You give no excuses for anything. You learn. You build. You know, like this is the culmination. All those hours of, of everything that you've ever, you know, put up for for it all, man. This this is what you do it for right here. To be to, to be able to be called Hall of Famer is everything. That is Kevin Garnett. He's going to the Pro Basketball Hall of Fame. Or it's the Basketball Hall of Fame. It's Pro Football Hall of Fame. Okay. It's the Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield, Massachusetts. Yeah, you have to be a big KG guy, aren't you? No. Boston? No? Mm, no. Really? Uh, the reason being, listen... Again, uh, is there a story behind this? No, 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 okay. not, not to, uh, I just can't listen. I'm not a, I'm not a fake phony fan sure. like that. So okay. I, I love Larry Bird. I mean, every night, man, I say it over and over. I mean, I, sometimes I actually have to remind myself that I did. I watch every night Larry Bird. I flip be, between the Bruins and the uh, Celtics when it was that time of year, and yeah. when the Red Sox popped in, I, I flipped well, there too. But now I'm just saying we're going on this road right now. Be careful because it's starting to sound a little racial. Because I said you like Kevin Garnett, you go, no, I like Larry Bird. <laughs> I, I love Larry Bird. Grew up watching Larry Bird. I don't like Kevin Garnett. Well, I liked Reggie Lewis. <laughs> okay, there okay. we go. And Welcome Robert back. Parrish. Welcome back, Brent. Good to have uh, you back. I'm just helping you out, dude. <laughs> D Brown. I'm, I'm just trying to help you out, man. <laughs> Slam dunk contest. <laughs> I was just like, wow, okay. Um. I was trying to try to Dennis Johnson. Yeah, okay. But but what you're saying, DJ uh, steals them all. <laughs> but you're saying obviously, when KG came over, you're older and you weren't necessarily the biggest Celtics fan. No, anymore. so so two things happen, right? Uh, Larry Bird retires, and again, I, I mean, I just find out. It, I don't know. I really don't know if I if I had gotten in this business or not, mm-hmm. would I have stayed on as a fan of a lot of teams, or did that just kind of help the separation? I don't know. Uh, but it happened around all that time. You know, Marino retired in 99. That was my first year in the business. Bird was, uh, I think, mid-90s, I think, was was it for him. Really, start 93 and 94, I think it really started to go downhill, laying on the floor with the back injuries and yeah, stuff. Yeah. But after, and but around that same time, if you remember, you guys won't remember, but the NBA took a hit. NBA just had, you know, whether it was the Malice and the Palace, but that was even on the back end. The Latrell Sprewell, we had P.J. Carlismo on. Yeah. Those, it, it took a, a hit in the eyes of a lot of fans, I think, in the late 90s, if my timing is correct. And, you know, a lot of the NBA guys got this view of, like, thugs and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I mean, that's people labeled it that way because of the, some of those incidents. And I'm not saying that was it, but the Detroit Pistons were a team that I hated as a kid, and all of a sudden they were good, yeah. you know, and it just it was like, what are we doing? I, I don't <laughs> but I, but it really more on me, I didn't love the brand of the game, but it was really more about probably Bird retiring. Mm-hmm. And so when Bird got out, and I loved Larry Bird so much, I just was like just became a little bit less interested. All those things happened in my life at the same were college so I'll probably watch the least amount of sports I've ever watched in college. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and and so I think it was more that I think it was like Larry Bird retiring. The NBA did take a hit in that stretch somewhere along the way, whether it was maybe it was 96 to 2004. I have no idea. I'm just making up the, the actual years. Sure. And, and then it kind of rallied again. Um, but but I think that's why. So when the 2000 was at eight, I think it was for the Celtics uh, with Garnett. Mm-hmm. And they were a great team. Yeah. 
But I was just like, yeah, whatever. I mean, it was cool to see them win. Sure. Like, I remember when they won. I remember watching it. And I, re- I remember, like, kind of, hey, that's cool. But I wasn't into it. I- I'd be lying if I said I was into it. If, sure. if they won right now, I wouldn't be into it. Like, I'm just not that kind of fan of the Celtics. All right. Um, which is, it's it's kind of weird to say it out loud because... I mean, you're still a Red Sox fan, though. You know? Yeah, Red like, Sox are a little bit more. Again, the Red yeah. Sox are the only ones that gets the blood boiling. Sure. That's it. <laughs> They're the only ones. Yeah. And that's usually, to get the blood boiling, it has to be against the Yankees. Well, and that's a sign of being a fan, obviously. If you can get upset, then you're yeah. a fan. <laughs> like, sometimes I really have to check my pulse as a fan sometimes. I'm Like, that is literal. Yeah. I, I really do. Like, I... I, I I find myself hating more teams than liking more teams. Yeah. And the Yankees fit that. So do the Titans. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that they do, man. That they do for you. But it's it's Personal a really vendetta against Tennessee Titans. Someday I'm going to have to either seek counseling or write a book <laughs> on my fandom. Yeah, yeah. It's a weird. It's yeah. really strange. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, you know a lot of guys in the business now or yeah. gals in the business and they're all if you watch them on social media, they're big fans of whether sure. it's the Gators or whoever else. I, They'll have I their don't teams. get I can't get there. I sure. really don't. Um and again, even I, I say this and people don't want to admit this, but I think this is reality. When the Red Sox won now three times this century, well, that took a little bit of the charm of being a Red Sox fan away, if you ask me. The fact that they had gone 86 years, the fact that it was all maybe next year, that was part, in a strange way, in hindsight, Mm -hmm. was part of the charm of being a Red Sox fan. I think Cubs fans might even stay the same because then they had that title. Of course. You know, and again, it's not like, you know, I mean, when they won, it was unbelievable. Mm Mm-hmm. But part of being a, a labeled a Red Sox fan or a Cubs fan was you, you almost got a hug from people yeah. because of it. When the Red Sox turned into somebody that uh, the team that people started to hate, yeah, like they became the Yankees. They bought players. They won three World Series. All these things. Yeah. So um, it's a wild thing, man. It's, fandom is a wild thing, and I, and I might be just maybe the weirdest of them all. It makes me wonder. Twenty years down the line. Will we be talking about the Cleveland Browns in the same kind of fashion? You certainly could, because I remind oh, people all the time. What a world! I, I listen. I, I, you could, because I told again twenty five years ago we talked about the Patriots like we talked about the Browns. Good point. Yeah. And nobody you're wants not, to admit that. You're not wrong, but we did. Yeah. And so that happens. Uh, Can't imagine. <laughs> I, know, I, I, I don't want to. Well, I don't want to imagine that kind of world. But not only that, but I, I mean, all these kids that are 15, 20 <laughs> years old, when they're 35, 40 years old, you might be talking about Imagine a Jaguars franchise who had three Super Bowl trophies. Exactly. You, you never know. You know, yeah. I mean, that could happen. Like, go look at the Pittsburgh Steelers history, you know, mm-hmm. and people have, have always said that well, around here. It's like they didn't win for the first, like, 30 years they were a franchise or something. And it's funny because the Jaguars franchise, yeah, the past 10 years, obviously, it's not good. Okay? I was a part of a couple of those years. But for some reason, I always correlate the Cleveland Browns to, like, the lowest of the low. And, like, I haven't compared the records in the past decade. Um, I haven't looked at the rosters in the past decade. But, like, to me, like, the Cleveland Browns will always be the factory of sadness. You know, like, it's just the way it is. I mean, they did movies about it. Kevin Costner yeah. started a movie about it. You know, it's just the, the, forever the Cleveland Browns will just be the Cleveland Browns. Now, I, I say that now. I'm watching two years Super Bowl champs and Jaguars just know where they're at. You know, that's sports. But it's funny how I can just relate losing and misery even more than Jacks of the past decade. I can relate it to Cleveland for whatever reason. Well, here's the thing. You know the reason, though, because much like the Red Sox, okay, Billy Buckner, and even go way back, and you know, there's several examples, Go uh, the Billy Goat and the yeah, Cubs, yeah. right? Well, the Browns have that. The Browns have the fumble. 
Well, they're yeah. just minor, right? Yeah. I mean, they've got this history of they're, they're, 17, 18 quarterbacks, starting say, quarterbacks the quarterback in the last carousel. two decades. Yeah. You know, so they the mistake by the lake. I mean, you've got all these kind of things, mm-hmm. and that's what makes a team like that. So I really don't I, – I do think they, they're a good punchline, but I also believe a lot of folks, the year they do win, will root for them to win. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll be – now – Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham, depends kind of how you see those characters. Sure. But I think a lot of people felt that about LeBron and the Cavs. It was the first time they'd won a major championship mm-hmm. when LeBron brought that to Cleveland. And I, again, not everybody liked him. I, I get it. But because LeBron kind of has that polarizing, almost tiger effect that you yeah. don't like him or not, yep. you know. But my point being, a casual fan will wrap your arms around that stuff. Listen, in 2017, the Jaguars were that. Mm-hmm. They were the ones. They, they were almost took down the mighty Patriots. You know how many people that year would have rooted for the Jags in the Super Bowl over the Eagles? You you know you would have had. That's, a, okay, that's you, interesting. You would have had. It was Minnesota. Yeah, it was Mi- Minnesota. Was where the Super Bowl was. Yeah. And you know what happens in Super Bowls now is uh, they're so corporate. Although. I say that it's changed a little bit. The home fans do a great job of getting out there now mm-hmm. and finding a way to buy tickets. But for a long time, it was really corporate. Uh, and, and then once in a while, you'll get like a, I think when Seattle went, maybe I want to say the one in New York, it felt like there was 70 percent Seattle. Yeah, because it was the first time they had gone and all that. But uh, what happens often is, you know, half that crowd will start pulling for that underdog team. Sure. If you don't have that element. Now, again, that year, Philadelphia fans, Philadelphia well, they were the was underdogs. going. Yeah. They were the underdog, but Philadelphia fans would have bought a lot of tickets is my point. So the, the Jags would have had a lot of competition, and that corporate ticket might have gone to the Philly fan. Mm-hmm. But if you just had this neutral crowd, just to kind of punch home my point, the Jags would have would have been like that lovable team. Yeah. Even though Philly hadn't won one, Philly's Philly. You hate, sure. you almost like to hate the Philly team, right? The, yeah. the sports fan there, the throwing snowballs at Santa Claus and batteries at whoever and whatever. So it's a nice ball. <laughs> <laughs> but I, that would have been an interesting one because they hadn't won. You know, they weren't on this pedestal. Yeah. Um, but I think if you had a neutral crowd, there would have been so much, so many people rooting for the Jags. Hmm. And I think that year, if I remember correctly, uh, the Jags. Got a lot of attention, got a lot of new fans. It felt like, you know, they were kind of that that fun Cinderella story because yeah. nobody expected it. Yeah, I mean, that's not a bad point. And one could argue that if the Jaguars do go to the Super Bowl and say the Eagles do win it, I think, like, the shine and just, you know, the, the greatness that was the Eagles that season, I don't want to say it gets tarnished, but... We aren't like considering the Eagles that great of a team then, I feel like, just because it's the Jaguar, right? Because the reason why we celebrate the Eagles is because they beat the Patriots. Yeah, that right? helped. As underdogs, with a backup quarterback, against all odds. Yeah, Tom yeah, Brady, yeah. you know, playing money that year. Like, the Eagles come in and they take care of business. If it was the Eagles Jaguars, well, one could say, well, the Jaguars beat the Patriots AFC Championship game. I'm rolling with the Jaguars because they did slay Goliath. Yeah, you know, like, they, I think they would have. Yeah, and, and that could very well be the case, but like, it would have been such an interesting game, though, because you essentially have two underdogs. You know, you, you have one team who embraces the underdog moniker, who loses their starting quarterback and defies all odds and gets the Super Bowl, and the other team knocks off the almighty Patriots, man. That would have been an interesting Super Bowl, I think. I, I don't want to say one for the ages, but it would have been interesting. If the Jags, you know, I've never really spent a lot of time doing this, 
because the one of the reasons I don't think I spent a lot of time doing this is because I actually think the Jags would have lost that Super Bowl. You think so? But what do you think? If the Jags had gone in there, because what you have to do is you remember they had beaten, then they would have ha- had beaten the Patriots. Mm-hmm. That would one that's a lot of momentum. I mean, yeah, you, you'd ride riding high, uh, and you know you you just slayed Goliath in their place. You have this cocky, cocky brash team, you know, with Telvin and Jalen and all these <laughs> Jaylen people. Ramsey's cutting promos in the stadium. Yeah, man. And you're up against a Philly team who hadn't been there before either. Uh, I just think Doug Peterson coached such a good game. Yeah. Now, listen, this coaching staff wouldn't have taken the heat if they didn't surrender the fourth quarter lead. So you have to erase that from your mind. They, they would be, they would be, uh, everybody would be praising them like, oh my gosh, look what they've done. And you know, everything would have been flipped in that sense. Uh, where so many people put it on the coaching staff for taking their foot off the gas, the third and 18 play, all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm not convinced the Eagles would have won. I just, I, I guess there was always, maybe I tried to find that that year because it was so almost depressing. Like I knew, I'll never forget this saying to the guys in the press box, I was like, we might, this might not happen again for like another 15, 20 years. Like really? you just, it's so hard to get there. Yeah. Like you know that. It's, well, again, man, keep in mind, I followed Dan Marino as a kid. He went in <laughs> his like first, or way early on, and yeah. then that's it. Yeah. For his whole career, everybody thought Dan Marino oh, would win five be, Super Bowls. Yeah, for sure. And so Same I, thing can be said for Patrick Mahomes right now. Like it, it could be. Everything seems to be in line for Patrick Mahomes to take over for the next decade. But it's hard, and not everything turns out like Brady and the Patriots. So I just remember, I'll never forget, man, We were at, with 10 minutes to go, we had started to actually, because you better make plans quick when it comes to that, you actually start almost looking up flights for Minneapolis and all this other <laughs> stuff and start like on the phone with bosses and like, yeah. okay, what are we doing tonight? Are we staying on late? Are we doing all this stuff? And then when when... Like, however, we figured out they weren't going to win, you know? Yeah. The gut punch, that post-game show that we did was so depressing. Like, it felt like a funeral. And part of it was because you knew it would be very hard to get back. And, well, unfortunately, we've been right on that. I mean, they actually took a nosedive since getting to that point. Uh, and that's what makes that so frustrating. But I do, I feel like the Eagles would have won that game against the Jags. I really do. We have no idea what would have happened. Um, and maybe I would have felt differently if the Jags had actually beaten the Patriots. So Let me ask you this, because it's a question that I've never actually heard the answer to, and I'm super curious about it. So you're there. You're in Foxborough. You're in the locker room after the game. You're on the plane ride back to Jacksonville. From your recollection, how was the team's I guess, demeanor? Like, was it like we just let one sip through our hands, we're devastated, you know, there's tears, or was it just like, hey, we'll be back next year, we have unfinished business, look at how far we've come, the sky's the limit for us going forward? Uh, it's a great call. Uh, the one thing I'll have to check up on, I did not, I stayed okay. uh, the, because, to continue our coverage, gotcha. and so I didn't fly back with the team, so I can't speak to that. Um, but I will say that the image that sticks out to me when they lost that game, was Leonard Fournette okay. crying coming off the field in tears. Hmm. You know, but and, and what's amazing to me is what I thought would happen with Fournette. I thought that would um, endear him to Jags fans for a long time. Sure. You know, I always say this, and again, growing up a Red Sox fan and stuff, you really do. I, I, I genuinely believe 
until a team can kind of almost feel what the fans feel, that's when that connection takes place. And the Red Sox, I always will say, 2003, that team, when they lost on a Boone home run to the Yankees in the ALCS, they felt as bad as the fans had felt for 85 years, like that team. And so in in 04, when they came back, I feel like they were kind of connected. You know, there was that they could feel what the fans felt because very few times can players and teams do that. Mm -hmm. Just a totally different existence. Well, I think the Jags kind of felt that in 16 a little bit. You know, uh, 16, they thought they were going to do so much better and they just flopped. And so they almost could feel what the fans were feeling those last couple few years. Um, and, and so I think and so that's why I thought Fournette, when he was literally in tears walking off the field at Gillette Stadium, mm-hmm. would endear himself to Jags fans for such a long time. First of all, he had a nice, really nice rookie year. Again, I, I think it's underrated his rookie year. Yeah. But I thought that moment kind of he felt like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I remember from it. Sure. Was there an element of we'll be back and we, we still have a very young team and we can go forward and do – was it a building block? Absolutely. Every team feels that. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like some of those guys sensed how much of a missed opportunity it was, 20 to 10, 10 minutes to go yeah. in their yard uh, against the, the best team that's maybe ever lived, the franchise-wise. Yeah. So – and especially how hard it was to get there, right? Because yeah. that was a, it was a hard training camp, obviously, yes. and they were you know you know being training. So, it's Tom Coughlin, high school. I will say, I think they kind of got it, man. I yeah. think they understood it. I don't know to a t- to a man, mm-hmm. but you know, obviously, I think Calais knew it, and Calais is such a p- uh, positive guy that I think he turned it into, hey, we'll get back, we'll go back, we'll go back, we'll go back, yeah. which is what you're supposed to do. But I thought. Fournette coming off the field said it all to me. Yeah. Said it all like, oh, man. You know, and, and I don't know if necessarily he was thinking what I was thinking. I was thinking, gosh, it's so hard to get to this stage yeah. and to be that close. You might not experience it again for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. I don't think he was thinking that. But I think he understood the devastation of the moment and what they just missed out on. Well, Leonard Fournette, man, I can sympathize with you because, like we talked about earlier in the show, I was in the, the movie theater up and I was crying a little bit. So, <laughs> hey. Uh, hey, we uh we have a strong connection. I can understand it, man. Because I was I wasn't crying too much in Jacksonville. We lost a lot, so it was like, all right, well, it is what it is, man. I mean, obviously I was ticked, but wasn't shedding tears, man. So, so I never did get your answer though. Do you think? What was the question? Do you think remember. they would? Do you think they would have beaten the Eagles? Oh, um, you know, I'll say this. I think both teams obviously have an underdog thing. Put that into play. Both teams uber talented um obviously quarterback play advantage i think even eagles there <sighs> defense you could go advantage jaguars but at the end of the day if it comes down to coaching and i get it both coaches were great that year but if you look at who's been consistently better the past you know following years it's been doug peterson right so go ahead and give me that edge and give me doug peterson and Would the eagles nick falls be received differently down here if he was the one that beat oh, the jags play portals will never be gone <laughs> if the Jags go to the Super Bowl. That's true. Yeah. Uh, well, if they won the Super Bowl, you mean? I think even or if even they go, go. Yeah, I mean, I think it adds a little bit to it. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question, too. Yeah. I don't know. You never know how the history plays out. But here's the here's the thought on that from the game's perspective. Mm-hmm. Is we got to remember that Patriots defense was not that good. I mean, they went up and down the field. on This was a shootout game. Mm-hmm. Brady threw for 610 yards against a good Eagles defense. Yeah. So the style of the game would have been totally different. But given the fact that Eagles, and I thought Peterson called a brilliant game, and he let it all hang out, man. I mean, he let it all go back and watch that game. And, Risk it and for the biscuit. He, he did. Yep. And a lot of situations, I don't think guys would have played it that way, and he did, and it worked to his advantage and favor. But you do have to ask yourself, would the Eagles have been able to 
move the ball like that against this defense. Because this defense game too. In a slower pace game, and this defense who was opportunistic, Mm -hmm. who was historic in terms of some of their their pace of sacks that year and turnovers that year. I mean, I know it's hard to get there right now given the way the Jags have been on defense, but you have to remind yourself how good their defense was that year. And could they have dictated and dominated that game? The way the Patriots defense couldn't. Patriots could just didn't do that. They didn't have anybody on the defensive side. Much different than when the last couple of years where their defense has actually been the heavy. Correct. So would have been fascinating to see. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I feel like the Eagles had a better team on paper. Yeah. And you feel like they would have found a way. But I don't know, but I might have felt different if they had just beaten the Patriots sure. at yeah, Gillette. Yeah, you're right, man. We can go back and forth. It's all freaking Bon Jovi's fault, man. Living on a prayer. It did it all. It changed everything. Son of a gun! <laughs> we'll be back on ESPN 690. The way the owners are negotiating, what they're asking for, is essentially to build um, a fund that would help shelter the losses for a lost season. I guess you could sum it up by saying they're preparing for the worst, hoping for the best. That doesn't mean that they're going to push the button and say cancel anytime soon, but it's very clear that from a financial standpoint, that's what they're looking at. Who's that? Brian Windhorst. Hey, Brian. A little reverb. Lay off the helium, dude. It's going to be okay, man. Jeez. The contingency plans on all these teams and, and leagues and uh, going into place uh, for the seasons, you know, again, Major League Baseball, who knows? We just really don't know. We've had that conversation. Everybody has. But the they are talking about it. And a lot of it has to do, like the Major League Baseball one, there was a big fight for, from the players to get the year of service. Yeah. And they were almost uh, less concerned with the dollars, like actually getting paid this year. But the year of service was a big thing. And so uh, we'll see what happens in all of that. But, uh, you know, I think even the, you know, maybe you get prorated in terms of how much you get paid and all those things. So even the players, I was thinking about this yesterday, they probably want to do as many double headers and everything as possible just to sneak as many games in. One for pay, uh, two for stats. And then, of course, the owners are going to be all over that. They want the gate as much as they can get. So it'd be interesting to see. We could go. It, Right now, we feel like we're back in the old days a little bit, depending on what old days you lived in and, and what this reminds you of. Uh, just being with the family, eating dinner at the table, walking around the block, those kind of things. Sure. Well, sports could kind of go back in that sense, too. Major League Baseball, especially with double headers, that we see so many more of those. Uh, even though when we get clear of this, hopefully sooner than later, uh, if you have a lot of double headers, that's like a an old days thing. It feels like now Ernie Ernie says, let's play, too. Yeah, uh, it just doesn't happen. Uh, anymore in Major League Baseball. So be fascinating to see. A couple of things to uh, hit on. We uh, we were asking earlier uh, just some people jumping in on um, do you think the Jags would have would have beaten the Eagles? And by the way, this was not a planned topic. We just kind of got here. We went from talking Spons- about, I don't even know, how did we get here? I don't know, man. I, I have no idea. But Sometimes I, I you ask the questions, you just go with the flow. I, know, I felt like I was on a couch uh, with with Austin the psychiatrist talking about whether oh, I'm a sports went, fan or not. We went from KG and you liking Larry Bird to yes. say, uh, give me some undertones there. Then we went to the Celtics. Then we went, I, we're all over the place. We man. were. It's all good, though. You know what I never asked about the Kevin Garnett stuff? Kevin Garnett going in with Tim Duncan and, and uh, posthumously Kobe Bryant. Yeah. How weird is that for them? 
What do you mean? For Garnett and, and Duncan. To go with Kobe Bryant? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't mean, know how I'd feel about it. I, I would say, like, I even thought for a moment, the NBA has done so many tributes yeah. to Kobe Bryant. Did they at all think about or even asking these guys to say, hey, we're going to just put Kobe Bryant in? Yeah. But that, well, and also, I, I, don't, well, I don't know. I, I, I bet everything was on the uh, table with it. Yeah, I'm sure it was. And also, if you're a player, like, do you really want to be, a, you know, I mean, that's, that's Kobe's moment, right? Like, it's, it's about him. So that's actually a great point I didn't even think of is what would you think? Like, if it was me personally and I was going to the Hall of Fame and, you know, it's like a guy like Kobe Bryant passed away, I would just be like, man, just, just give me a call next year. You know, like, let's let Kobe Bryant have his moment and, and I'll be around next year. So, yeah, yeah it, it is kind of a. I don't know, yeah. I guess it's, it depends how you think, right? And we think more like this than I think even the players do, maybe. But you can also think it's, it's an honor to be considered. That's right. His, yeah. Yeah. And, and also, like a lot of these guys, like Tim Duncan especially, I would think he's very unassuming. Um, and how many words will Tim Duncan say in his Hall of Fame speech, by the way? <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Thank you, guys. That's it. All right. Thanks, Tim. But But he doesn't – I don't know if he cares to be the headliner. Tim Duncan? Yeah. No, with, right. no, absolutely not. But no, that's I'm, not his style. I'm just saying some people do. Yeah. You know, yeah, like yeah. some people, even if you go in the Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. uh, what was the class even a couple years ago? Like Ray Lewis. Ray Lewis got to be the headline guy, right? Of I course. mean, you kind of feel like that. <laughs> yeah, feel yeah, like yeah. that. Of course. Uh, so do you mind? You don't get a choice yeah. if you're not a headline guy, but sometimes it works out that way. And so that's why I almost wonder, like, well, what do you. Like, it's well, almost going to be so overshadowed that Duncan and Garnett yeah. are Hall of Fame inductees yeah and also like you know kevin garnett you know he's a he's a big personality right he's doing movies now and everything yeah. like that but even kevin garnett i think was a lot about his personality like in minnesota he had to be the guy all right unless you want to compare him to, to wally zerbiak but like kevin garnett was the guy in minnesota but then he goes to boston and he gels perfectly with paul pierce and ray allen so i think it kind of goes to show you a little bit like it's not about kevin garnett you know and especially with this Kobe Bryant situation he understands it i think like hey, this is kobe's moment i'm gonna say my piece tim will say his piece but it's all about kobe Bryant. yeah uh, I think a big thing about it too is like now with those three you can have the debate is this the one of the best hall of fame classes going in so them call. being all together they yeah. can they can do that yeah it's a yeah. good call and it's a good trio it'll be a good trio to have i mean no doubters right uh and you know i guess uh, i will say this i don't know if it's going to sound right or not but i feel like we've had so many memorials and remembrances for kobe bryant if he was the only one getting inducted it would feel like another that one. again that's a good point you know yeah so at least this uh, braces from that you know you can celebrate but it doesn't feel like another memorial because there's sometimes can feel a little different I agree to that, you know, so uh, be pretty interesting. All right. uh, A couple other things we're asking. Do you think the Jags would have beaten the Eagles in 2017? (laughs) Uh, Roaring 20 says, uh, well, Teal Apocalypse says, undoubtedly, leaving the AFC Championship game was one of the most difficult and heartbreaking sports moments I've ever attended. Also, Jaguars would have smoked Philadelphia, in my opinion. Uh, Mike says, hell yeah, (laughs) Jags would have won. So interesting. Again, I remember thinking of this, and I, this is not just today. In, in fact, I would, I'm now hesitating more than I did back then. But I remember seeing Philly in that Super Bowl yeah. and kind of on coming out of that saying, you know what, I'm not sure the Jags would have beaten them. Yeah. That's what I remember. But now, like, if you if you put it in the context of, well, they would have beaten the Patriots, how would you felt about it then? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I love this, man. I'm, I'm like a therapist for Brett Marno right now, man. Yeah. Get it all out, man. Well, in the get last half out. hour, if you really want to go back and see what kind of fan I am or am not, that's that part of the show. Yeah. Um, indeed. There are a lot of things changing around. The Jumbo Shrimp announced today, along with uh, Minor League Baseball, their season will not start until at least May 1st. So it sounds like they're taking it month by month, uh, if you will. Uh, rescheduled events for the PGA Tour and some of the championship dates. PGA Championship will now still be at TPC Harding Park. It was supposed to be in May. It'll actually go back to like its normal time frame of August, and uh, that will be played. U.S. Open, usually in June, will still be played at Winged Foot, at least as of now, and that will be played uh, in September, September 17th to the 20th. So September will be a heck of a month for some golf because the next week is the Ryder Cup. And that's still on yeah. uh, September 26th, 27th. And then the Masters, who said they would uh, reschedule, will be on uh, November 9th to the 15th. Uh, that is the uh, time frame for that. Mm. Sporting Sports are not going to have a choice. And there's only so much of the calendar left. So yeah. you either got to deal with what you got or postpone it and just move to 2021. Mm-hmm. Golf is very much in this situation because they had the players in March, the Masters in April, the PGA Championship in May, the U.S. Open in June. Now, the only one I didn't mention there in July because the Open Championship is canceled, not rescheduled, just canceled. So we lose a major this year, uh, even if we were to pick things back up, say, in, in the midsummer. Um, golf, didn't, golf had to pile it all in. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting on two fronts, right? Everybody tries to kind of stay away from football season. Golf has really adjusted their calendar to stay away from football season, most recently yeah. in the last year or two. Well, now they're going to go right into the middle of it. In. Yep. Like, how will the Masters play in November? First of all, I mean, I understand winter rules to, <laughs> to quote Caddyshack. Listen, um, I understand you're not the biggest of, of golf fans, no. but the Masters is the Masters. The U.S. Open's the U.S. Open. Like, September doesn't... Like, I, the Ryder Cup's always been in September, so you can have big golf in September, but the Masters in November is odd. Like, yeah. that is really an oddball. I mean... That's kind of fun, right? I mean, do you see a Sunday cool. on CBS... Where they but, do the last round of the Masters, pick it up around 4 o'clock, and do an early football game prior yeah. to? Yeah, I mean, listen, I think more sports the, the merrier, right? And obviously, the, the numbers may not do as well, but people will still watch it if they're into that type of thing. So, I mean, me personally, obviously, I'm watching college game day, college football on Saturday, and then Sunday I'm watching the NFL. But I'll probably I'll flip back and forth uh, just knowing that it's there. So, I think it's better to have the Masters and have it during football season to not have the Masters at all. Yeah. Right? So props to them for trying to fit it in, and hopefully it works out, and um, you know we'll we'll be watching golf in November. Yeah, all it, good. I think it will be that part will be pretty interesting to to see how it plays. But the fact that it is playing, I think, is is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and CBS will figure out. The one thing I did think of today is like they that might not work out. What I just said. Say they have a, a one o'clock kickoff, mm-hmm. and. You go at four o'clock and say they they join the the coverage or you tee off a little bit later than you normally would, which would I think uh, in April maybe be around three o'clock okay. with the leaders. Well, you'd have to even do it earlier because of daylight savings, I think. Oof. Because November you don't you're not you don't have daylight until seven thirty eight o'clock. Yeah, where normally they would in April. Yeah. So just even those little things to think of. Uh, 
but there's so many different ways to put it on streaming. I mean, CBS has all these alternate networks. How their relationship works. I mean, you know, the Masters is the Masters now. They don't mm-hmm. care if the NFL's on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know most people, executives, care about the NFL being on because the dollars with the Masters folks might be like, hey, CBS, you're putting us on anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'll be interesting like, how they go back and forth, right? Because who gets top priority, you know? I mean, that's, I think that's a legitimate question. Yeah, so, I, I think it is, too. Yeah. Uh, all right, uh, Doug, by the way, earlier asked, since the Open is canceled, canceled, does that leave a possible return for the Players' Championship to be played the same weekend? And the answer to that is no. Mm. Uh, just confirmed uh, earlier today that it, that's not happening. Uh, the, the Players' Championship for 2020 is canceled. Okay. And so they will not try to uh, uh, fit that uh, back in at all. Um you know, uh, let's see who was it? Mark Spencer. Uh, plan for MLB: open up camps early May, last week of May, first June, a modified spring training, expand rosters to have four more pitchers, begin games June eighth, but only at spring training facilities, no fans. July fourth, game resumes in stadiums, World Series at same time, so short in season. Uh, well, listen, I'm going to disagree there because I believe this whole idea, which we got to when this was going on in the first place, of okay, no fans. I think that is not going to be received well. I don't think people are going to do that. I, I I think, and I may be in the minority here, but I believe this is going to be an all clear and it's back to normal or it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you're going to have, because here's the, here's the thing, in my opinion, whether this falls on decision makers who feel differently or whether you really want to, which we're starting to see a decent amount of this over the first month of coronavirus in the United States, whether this falls on party lines mm-hmm. of how people feel. Uh, of course, it has to become political to, to many. Um, well, yeah. I, you have too many differing opinions, is my point. And so I think you're just like, I, I think it was California who came out after Trump met with the commissioners of all the leagues over the weekend and said, hey, maybe we feel like football can still be on, right? Yeah. Well, the, I think it was California governor's like, I don't think it will be. Well, you know, so yeah. it's just like, well, there it is. It's, it's the great example of that's why we have to probably have all or nothing. Of course. Yeah. The last thing you want to do is open it back up and you still have issues. Okay. The, the, that's the last thing you want to do. And listen, I, I'm all for being optimistic and having hope, right? Like it, it, it can do uh, a lot of great things, you know, for society. And I get that, but I'm also a realist, man. Okay. And to say that you're going to open the, you know, the, the ballparks and you're going to have football when there's not a cure yet. Like to me, that's just, and I'm not trying to make any political statements here. I don't care if it's Barack Obama saying it or Donald Trump, who's ever in charge to say that, yeah, it's going to be good, but in a couple months, it'll be fine. Well, that's great to hope that, but we don't know that. And, yeah. it, and if, there, if there's not a vaccine, if there's not something we can say, you know what, this is eradicated, we can go on with our lives, I don't see it opening back up because the last thing you want to do is let people into a big ballpark, let people into a, a football stadium, and those people get sick, man. You, you can't afford to have that. So until there's a, like a, a surefire cure, I don't see anything opening up. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I don't. Either I really yeah. again I think it will be all or nothing I don't and think we're going to see hopeful, that. Brent I really do man but it's well I just I, I'm hopeful let's be real here's what I think uh, Ben Becker said this yesterday we we're um, in, in TV land uh, for CBS 47 and Fox 30 and he said and I think and I kind of agree with him in this sense that the earliest I see any kind of opening up is July mm-hmm. right that's kind of where I my mind is at again I am not a predictor of this and I probably haven't even read as much about it as, as many other people um, we aren't doctors yes but 
I I would say right now in my mind, April, here we are in the early stages of April, April's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe May is done. Mm-hmm. I believe if we're really lucky, maybe in June things could start opening back up to normal. But I think that would take an enormous amount of luck. I believe the target will be, can you open things back up for the second half of the year, which essentially is a new fiscal year in business, by the way, too. Mm. So that would be July. Yeah. But you have two quarters left in even the, the year anyway, and there's a lot to kind of move on with. And, okay, you missed this three- or four-month window, but now we're back at it. So I, I think that would be the sunny side of this is to say July 4th, and this is where Ben, I'm stealing his a little bit, like kind of yeah. celebrate America, right, as we reopen everything. And it's a great, it's a good idea. It's a good concept, but it also adds up from a timing standpoint to me to be probably like the earliest that we all get, like the all clear. Yeah. Uh, and now some people probably be like, you're crazy, man. I mean, it's coming back in, in October, and you might be right. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying the earliest, in my mind, the way I'm thinking of this uh, would be around that time frame. And if you did, then Mark, who tweeted that out then then you know that whole july 4th of opening things up what i disagree with is you're going to start things down at spring training you're going to play with no fans you're not doing that if they're not allowing fans in i don't believe they'll allow people in clubhouses the gatherings will be the gatherings and that is not stopping there's not going to be a a gradual again this is me talking me thinking Mm -hmm. i don't think there will be a gradually gradual unveil of hey we now can have 20 people in a place now we can have 100 people in a place there was a gradual dismantling of that, mm-hmm. if you remember, but I don't think it will be a gradual no. growth back. I, I agree with you. I think it will be nothing. an all or nothing deal, yep. um, and I'm sticking to my, my guns on that one. That's what I think uh, uh, will happen, yep. but again, we're all just guessing here. We aren't doctors, Brent. I was Unless old- Dan Hopkins wants to come get a physical with us right now, we can okay him and send him to Arizona. Let me ask you this one thing about the golf schedule. Were you at all surprised that the golf opened back up? I mean, it came back with alternate dates already. Yeah, and not waiting. Now again, you know, it takes planning. You gotta, you gotta pencil some of these things in. I understand, but what you risk in doing that is canceling twice. That's kind of what I thought. Like, the, the Masters was the big one for me. The, the Masters in November, you know, and yeah, I mean, that's that's a ways away, you know. And I'm sure you have to lock down a slot because you're cutting into football time now and everything. But I just feel like. I guess you have to ask, is the juice worth the squeeze? You know, and I think with what the with what the experts are saying is that this thing, you know, should be under control by then. Now, we don't know what's gonna happen even tomorrow, man. It could be, you know, who knows? But I'm just saying I think they gave themselves at least a lot of time a, a little leeway because if there's golf going on, you gotta assume that football is gonna be going on. So I think that's the plan. But once again, Brent, we don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. We don't know what's gonna happen in a week from now. Who yeah. knows? I'm not I'm not uh super critical of them announcing the dates. Because yeah. I think what it does is it gives people some hope that sure. there are some believers out there that we can get this thing going and that's okay. But the reality is it could be a false sense of hope. Mm-hmm. And you might have to uh you know, cancel once again. Hey, earlier in the program, we were talking about Solomon Kinley, yeah. offensive lineman out of the Reigns uh, High School program. Uh, also, Georgia Bulldogs should be one of three offensive linemen uh, from the dogs that get drafted pretty high in this draft. Kinley's a top 100 prospect, and uh, he's a fun personality. He's a mauler. He plays the guard position. We caught up with him uh, this past week as he was working out back home. He was supposed to be in Pensacola with an eye on the draft. And keep in mind, for players like Solomon Kinley, who can show off that personality, uh, well, he doesn't have the opportunity to do that after the combine. He, he had a good combine. He did interviews, including with the Jaguars. But 
No pro days, no visits, none of that stuff. That part of the process uh, has been stymied here in 2020, but the draft goes on. And now Solomon Kinley is just a couple of weeks away, hopefully, from hearing his name get called and playing professional football soon enough. When I come to, uh, come home from school, like I was in college or high school, when anything, everything gets shut down, I got to work out by myself. I call I go my, my go-to man, my coach. I come out here and work every day. It's a different facility or a different place. I used to be at range, but, you know, social distance got to get away from that. So I come up here by myself and just really do what I usually do when I, when I don't have my resources. So do you feel like you're getting the work oh, yeah. in that you need to get work in? Yes, sir, no doubt. That's only that's that's one thing you should know about yourself. If you feel like you're getting enough work in, you, I done been through it all. I done been through college, football, high school, and now I'm training for the professional league. So you know what type of work you need to get and know what type of work that you need to do for you to be able to succeed and do the right things on the field. Got a lot of time on your hands these days, too, though, right? I mean, that, I know that sounds like a lot, but there's still a lot of hours in the day. Yes, sir, no doubt. You know, what I do is I just work out. I just go be with my family, enjoy my family because when the season starts, like always, you you have very limited time to be around them. So I got I cherish that type of thing, and like you said, stay social distance as much as I can, but be with them and do things as much as I can because in the next few weeks, who knows where I'm gonna land up? Who knows I'm gonna be? Who knows how often I'm gonna see them? So I try to cherish that and spend more time with them as much as I can. What does this feel like for you with a few weeks to go? We've hit April now, man. I mean, now we're a couple weeks, few weeks away. I mean, does does do you? Is, is there some anxiety? Are you excited? What is it? I understand what position I'm in. I'm blessed for the opportunity. It's just like I take it as it's another step for me to work hard and prove myself. Yes, I'm. A, uh, it really haven't hit me. The only few times that it hit me was when I made my post on Instagram. I was like, I'm not going to Georgia anymore. And then on the way to Indianapolis to the combine, I'm like, I look up in the ceiling. All I see is like Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, people like that. I'm like. I was just watching this on TV my whole entire life. I'm like, now I'm here. I'm going to be interacting, doing the experiences, and seeing a lot of things that everybody else has done. And I was like, that's crazy. I'm really hip. But as of right now, as in I'm in the NFL draft, like who I'm getting drafted by, I really don't know. It's like it haven't hit me yet. But when that call comes, be like, wow, I'm in it professionally. I done did some. A lot of people wanted to do. A lot of people had opportunities, haven't had opportunity to do. And I'm just like I said, I'm blessed for it. I thank the Lord every day. How did you do at the Combine? What do you think? Are your performances, uh, the meetings, the interviews? Oh, yeah. I, I, to be honest, not to be cocky, but I think I killed it. I think I killed the, the interviews. I built a lot of relationships with people. And that was one of the things where I, when I was training, it's all about, yeah, your film your film matters a lot. But something that almost can outstand your film is your character. And how you build a relationship with people, how the leadership you have, and the way you talk, the way you carry yourself. So, and I feel like I do that very well as in, as in myself. Did you meet with the Jags at all? Oh yeah, yes sir. How what was that like? Oh yeah, it was really good. It was really good. Matter of fact, while I was there, they had them call back a coach here, asked how how I was, how did I play this and the third. Had to be Coach Wiley, my guy Coach Wiley. So he was like, yeah, that's my man. Go ahead and bring him back to the home city, home town. Be right right back around the corner from the graveyard. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. They project you as a guard, I'm assuming, right? Yes, sir. Uh, and do you know? I mean, have you looked at mock drafts? Are you a middle round projection? Are you? What do you think? What do it's, you sense? It's, it's hard to predict. Yeah, it's all over the place. Some people got me going first, some people got me going second, and some people got me going latest as third. So, like I said, I don't really pay too much attention to that because coming out of high school, yeah, I might have had a four-star, three-star, had a chance to be All-American, but sometimes that don't really matter. A lot, not sometimes, a lot of the time it don't really matter. So, if you just work and do the right things, trust me, your name get called, whatever team you go to, 
you'll be satisfied. They'll be satisfied with you. You are a confident guy. Like you said, not a cocky guy, but a confident guy. Heck, you think you can move like a defensive back, you just told oh, us. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I got a few little receiver skills, defensive back, little offensive. I'm an offensive tight end sometimes. You know, you can put me out wide, cover cover a few guys, you know, touch them. How much do you think that's fun, though, for you? Because we see a lot of offensive line. They've got a serious, kind of quiet. you got a nice outgoing personality, a little flavor to that offensive line. I don't think we see a lot of offensive linemen like that. Yes, sir, no doubt. It's just, it's just how, how my mom raised me and the type of community I was raised in, man. It's just you live, a, you live another day. So cherish it. Just cherish it. Be happy. Make sure make the best of it. Don't, don't, don't walk around frowning because what you do, God put you on the earth for a reason. And cherish that reason. And do the right thing and try to be the best at it every day. That is Solomon Kinley, uh, former Reigns Viking, former uh, Georgia Bulldog. And again, uh, where will he end up in the draft coming up in a couple of weeks? How much do you think guys like him are getting hurt by finding a new place to train, whether it's just an open field somewhere? He says yeah. he runs the Hart Bridge, you know, yeah. he's lifting in his garage. I mean, kind of old school in it a little bit. Absolutely. Does that hurt a guy, the, the lack of visits, the lack of pro days, the lack of maybe what I think actually is people don't talk about enough, maybe that private workout, because mm-hmm. I go back to Cam Robinson and Yannick Ngakwe here that we know of. Those were a couple weeks before the draft, an extra private workout, and obviously sold the Jags on guys like that. Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously what he has going for him right now is the fact that his film is out there, right? And his film is good. So he's got that. Obviously, he's met with scouts during the season, so they kind of get his personality a little bit as he obviously he was showcasing in the interview. Um, that was really cool to hear. So they know his personality they know what he's capable of like but you mentioned it like those pro days and those you know those last final meetings can kind of give you that little oomph that you that you may need you know like a team could be on the fence right now maybe something that you say can put you over the top of it but i think overall man he, he's got a great body of work um you know the the, the, the verdict's going to be out on him but i think he's going to like where he goes obviously but in terms like you said of training them that's the hard part. I, I, I even more than having the meetings, even more than the, the, the pro days, because you got to think you're a rookie right now, Brent, and, and you're coming off of a, a long, strung out college season. All right, so your body's already so a little banged up. Whether you're doing the combine, your all star games, there's a lot of stuff going on. We always talk about that rookie wall, right? Well, this is the time where you brace your body for that rookie wall. I'm not saying that you're going to max out on the bench press. You're not going to max out on the squat. But what you're doing is you're conditioning your body to get ready for a season that you have no idea what's what's coming up ahead, right? Because, yeah, sure, you went to college, and you did winter conditioning. You did spring ball. You went through the grills of a regular college season, but the NFL is different, all right? And the NFL, it's all about the inches. It's all about the little things that you do right. So conditioning your body right now gets you prepared for that. Well, unfortunately, with, you know, the, the other thing going on with the pandemic you don't have all the tools needed to get your body conditioned. Sure, you can run the heart bridge, and you can get other guys around, you know, and go through drills and things like that, and that's going to help. But I'm talking about those intense workouts, those football-specific drills that you can only do on a football field around people. That's what's going to hurt a lot of football players, I think, coming out uh, for the draft this year. Yeah, we do talk about it's a grind for a lot of those young players who never get a break. I actually wonder if this helps them give a little bit of a break. Maybe it makes those guys fresh a little bit more. The flip side is, like you just said, you won't have, maybe you're not as conditioned. Maybe you're not as ready Mm -hmm. to make that long season once it begins. Uh, I'm going to be fascinated. It all comes down to mostly injury, I think. How do, do people come out of this thing? And, and we'll have to wait till seasons are over, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball. Are they more injured or less injured? And what does that 
teach us? Yeah. You know, are there any lessons to take from that? Will be pretty interesting. All right, we're going to take a time out. On the other side, we got ten questions. Uh, we'll do a new segment, hot or cold, in terms of stock rising for a draft prospect or two. I like it. All right, uh, and. I do want to ask you to piggyback on Solomon Kinley there. And by the way, you can see the TV side of the story uh, coming up at 545 on CBS and also uh, later tonight on CBS 47 and Fox 30. That guy has personality as an offensive lineman. They're usually super serious. Yeah, they're smart. They're tough, but they're stoic. They don't smile. They don't say anything. Have dips in all the time. Right, you got to give me the Evan Britton is your personality guy. Yeah, you got to give me either another one. Or the other side, the most stoic, scary offensive lineman Ooh. teammate that you can remember. It's like next it. on ESPN 690. I had a, a, a great situation, a bunch of great teammates, and we had a, a singular goal. We, we wanted to be the best team we could be. And uh, whatever that meant, whoever that uh, uh, meant being... Uh, 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 the game-winning shot, the, the the man of the of, of that game, that season, that series, whatever it may be, um, w- we just wanted to win. And uh, with that singular goal, I, I never felt unappreciated. No. That is Tim Duncan. That's what the Hall of Fame speech is going to sound like. <laughs> End scene. Yep. It's <laughs> always got. He really is. I love it, man. One of the most underrated players of all time, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Mr. Fundamental for a reason. Nondescript. Yeah. You know, a fantastic swimmer. Really? really? You yeah. Know, you know, he's doing kickboxing and Muay Thai now, too. Oh, really? Can you imagine that guy doing you kicking you? you I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure, like, he was, like, he could have been, like, world-class really? swimmer. Yeah, no, that, that's what they were talking to him about on ESPN yeah. over the weekend, is he wanted to do that, and then I guess somehow basketball got brought he's up. from the worked. Virgin Islands? Virgin Islands, right? yeah. 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 And he's done a lot back in the Virgin Islands, too. Yeah. He's, he's an under-the-radar guy. For I always sure. appreciate that, you know? When you can... You can go, you can be like that kind of superstar. Yeah. Yet stay under the radar. Yeah. You know, again, and I say this a lot about Jeter. And I know Jeter was in New York, so he's always a star, Mm -hmm. but he wasn't like back pages, quotes all the time. I mean, look when A Rod, you know, A Rod became every day, it became a thing. Um, It's just for as great as Jeter was, he wasn't just in that spotlight. As much as you would think, uh, and and I say that from a headline. So he's always in the spotlight in New York. Obviously, Tim Duncan's a basketball player. He's always every night he came out there. He's a he's a star. But you just, I guess, from a headline, from people aren't even talking about. They almost didn't even talk about those guys because there wasn't much to grab other than they give you any they're great players. You yeah, know? I mean, that's, and that's boring for talking heads like us. That's that's <laughs> the greatness of, of Tim Duncan. I remember when I made my transition from hockey to basketball. And my basketball coach was telling me, he's like, I want you to watch tape on Tim Duncan because that's what we're going to try to mold you into. Watch his post moves. I go, absolutely not. No, I'm, I'm going to watch Kevin Garnett. I'm going to watch these, you know, these prolific scorers and like these, you know, these high fly dunkers. I don't want to watch Tim Duncan in the post shooting, you know, mid range bank shots. Like that's not entertaining, but I did. And you know, it helped out a lot. It's just, th- this is a guy who, if he was, if he was the type of guy that would give you the, the quotes, if he was the type of guy that would wear like the, these crazy articles of clothing, rock these chains, you know, say what you want about him. If he was that type of guy, Brent, he'd probably go down as one of the greatest of all time. But that's not who he was. And don't get me wrong. He's still one of the greatest of all time. Don't get it twisted. But it was just like his low-key demeanor, man. 
to me, it didn't paint him any pictures in terms of society, especially in the sport of basketball, where it's all about the personality, right? We watch you on TV. You can't hide behind your helmet. You can't hide behind your shoulder pads. All you have is your abilities on the court and then your your personality off the court. And Tim Duncan, I'm not hating on the guy because I respect it to a T. But as far as personality, he didn't really bring it that much, man. It, it is what it is. Yeah, he didn't, and and that's okay. I guess he didn't want to. It's I, awesome. I, again, I almost have more appreciation for it, those guys. I absolutely admire than, it than anybody else. And, and in this day and age, where branding is so key, mm-hmm. you know, which but you know what, those guys can make them gazillion dollars if, if, if they don't brand or not yeah. i mean heck in our industry you, you got to kind of brand your your logo or your whatever show you're at or sure. maybe even your own personality uh to maybe make it and have longevity and those kind of things mm-hmm. and it depends how big that brand can get that then maybe uh is how much you make or how well you do all those things well tim duncan whether he branded himself or not was always going to make a hundred million dollars playing basketball it was just that good at basketball and here's the beauty of tim duncan you know, when you try to brand yourself, when you give these cryptic, you know, Twitter posts or when you say these things in the media, they all come with consequences and, yeah. and they all cost energy. Yeah. So instead of Tim Duncan going out there trying to be this me, me, me guy, what did he do? Just went to the gym every single day, mind his own business and worked on his game. And his game was stellar. Yeah. His game was one of the best post players of all time. One could say if he tried to act out, if he tried to build a personality, would his game have matched? Probably not. Yeah. Uh, all right. Ten questions, okay? Uh, I'm going to ask the first question, Kuz. I don't know if you have ten of them, but I want to know, Austin, best personality you played with an offensive lineman in your career and no personality guy that you were almost afraid of? Um, best personality is going to be Evan Britton. Okay. The, that's the easy one. Obviously, I shared a couple of years with him in Jacksonville, and then we both spent some time in Chicago together, kind of on our back nine swan song. So, Evan Britton for sure. Evan Britton, if I was to put him like in a category of like the personality that he is, imagine. I would say, like, imagine, like, a Jim Carrey mixed with the, the Big Lebowski. And that's what Evan Britton is, man. <laughs> like, to a T. And it's just, it's perfect, man. So, Evan Britton, for sure. A guy that actually had a little bit of personality, but he was, pro- I'll be honest with you, he was the only, I'm trying to think back, too. He was the only guy that I can wholeheartedly say right now as I sit here that I was a little frightened of. And I think I've shared the story about him before a little bit. But it was my time with the Detroit Lions. Keep in mind, only like four or five weeks, so I didn't get to know him that well. But what I did see scared me a little bit, and that was Dominic Rayola, um, center for the Detroit Lions. Okay. I, told this, I think I told this story. Maybe I don't remember. remember. So a couple things about Dominic, man. Number one, his name is Dominic Rayola. Okay, so the, the guy's like, we don't even know what he is. Okay, I think he's. <laughs> I think I mean, I'm trying to. I'm just trying to tell how it is. Okay, so like I'm pretty sure he's Hawaiian, right? But like he comes across like. And I'm not trying to be racial here, but kind of as a white dude. Now, I back this up a little bit. I back this up a little bit because keep in mind, I'm sure the locker rooms with Tyson Alawalu. I know what kind of music they're into. Dominic Rayola. I'm probably pronouncing the name wrong. Rayola. Dominic Rayola. Um, He had his own guy that was in charge, like an equipment guy, that was in charge of carrying this giant speaker on road games. Like, that was his only job. Not putting helmets in lockers, not getting jerseys cleaned. This guy's only job in the equipment staff was to make sure the speaker was by, you know, his locker. So when I say that he would play this music to ear-bleeding levels, it was Slipknot, it was corn, it was like all like this hardcore rock kind of music. And I'm just like, dude, I don't want to be racial here, but I was expecting more like... You know, Bob Marley and like everything is going to be all right. That, that wasn't the case then. But th- this isn't the crazy part. 
I'll never forget my first game playing for the Lions. And we're in the tunnel getting ready to go. And once again, like, Rayola's like, he's the prototypical center, like, beefy kind of, like, you know, getting your face, hitting your head against the wall. He's doing all that. But then he's like, it's about to happen. I'm like, what's about to happen? And the guy throws up everywhere in the tunnel as we're getting ready to walk out. And I'm like, what is happening right now? (laughs) And everyone's like cheering him on. And I forgot who it was. Another defensive lineman. might have been Devin Taylor. He's like, oh, dude, that's a good thing. Because when he throws up like that, it means he's ready to go. I'm like, excuse me? So, like, he actually tried to make himself throw up because that was a sign that he was ready to go and unleash the hounds, man. This is the type of guy that we're dealing with. So that hands down was the guy I, I feared um, as an offensive lineman, hands down. Wow. That's, that guy's uh, nuts. And, and there's the best part. I saw him a year ago <laughs> on TV at uh, uh, Guy, Guy Fieri. Uh, what's his show? Diners Drive. He was on that show with Guy Fieri in Hawaii, just like at a restaurant, just hanging out, like super casual. I'm like, who is this gentleman? So there That's you go. Awesome. Yeah. Randomly hanging out with Guy Fieri. Good for him. Offensive linemen are strange, man. Dude. Who are you telling, man? Who are you telling? And then there's like Brad Meester. Yeah. Brad Meester, I always my analogy for Brad Meester is like he could literally have been the guy that was tailgating with you at ten o'clock in the morning and then put on a uniform and go inside and play. Brad Meester was um he was a rare breed. But I think he's kind of the old school guy, right? Like yeah. he, he's been around for so long that he didn't have time to kind of get with this the, the new school approach offensive lineman. And I say new school approach. Well, now in new school, it's like Juwan Taylor. Like, you, you're rocking all this designer clothing, which makes zero sense because you're an offensive lineman. Like, when I was coming up, 2010, man, offensive linemen were like, you know, like Eugene Monroe, who they were big dudes. I mean, they, they could dress, but it wasn't anything crazy. Nowadays, man, like, it's fashion, 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 which is unheard of as offensive linemen. All right, Coos, rip through these questions, and then i got to get to uh, hot or cold stock. Uh, brought to you by uh, Bold City Heating and Air coming up in a bit. Okay, uh, Las Vegas Sportsbook said that uh, Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields is favorite to win the Heisman Trophy trophy next year. Austin, do you agree? No, Trevor Lawrence. I think the ACC is a lot weaker than the Big Ten is going to be. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to put up big-time numbers. Um, Justin Fields, you got to play Wisconsin. You got to play Michigan, who's obviously ticked off. He kicked their butts how many past years now? Um, I was always interesting. Good defense. I'm taking Trevor Lawrence over Justin Fields. All right, Brent. Uh, another one from the sports book. Alabama is a plus 125 favorite to win the SEC. Uh, do you agree with that for the 11th straight season? Mm. I, I would say no. I, they, I think Alabama is on the down cycle. Uh, I've predicted wrongly on that on a couple of teams in the past. Not Alabama yet, but I think this will be kind of that downward trend. And on top of that, other teams catching up, right? Can LSU do it again? You know, they obviously don't have Joe Burrow. They won't have a lot. But can they do it again off the momentum that they have? They're not going to be that good. But could they become the team to beat now? Where's Texas A&M in the fold? You know, now you've got uh, Leach and Kiffin out the West with Ole Miss and Mississippi State. I mean, could they throw a wrinkle in there? And and then, of course, Auburn, too. So I I think uh, there's so much more competition on that West side that is intriguing. I'm not saying Alabama's going to be bad. But I just think so many people lock Alabama into the final all the time and have them win the SEC all the time. I don't know if I believe that anymore 
um, with Alabama going in this year. All right, so this kind of got brought up because of Lamar Jackson responding to a tweet saying this can't be a real question. Now, the tweet was talking about Mike Vick and if he was a first ballot Hall of Famer. So the response says, am I going crazy? And this is where, Austin, you can either agree or disagree. The response to the tweet, I'll leave the person off, it says, am I crazy? I don't think Vick is a Hall of Famer at all, let alone first ballot. Okay, is this person just, it's a random person? Yeah, it was or just it's like a, random, a celebrity? Random okay, I got you. Okay. Oh, Mike Vick, Hall of Fame. First ballot, that's the question? Well, that's what. Well, um, just an Hall of Fame in general. Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame in, general. in general, but but the one Lamar Jackson responded to was talking about being a, him being a first ballot. Yeah. Um, 11 seasons where he actually got decent playing time to count the injuries. Never an all pro. Couple, t- uh, let's see, four time Pro Bowler. See, to me, though, and I don't know how much criteria goes in the Hall of Fame about this, right? But I always feel like the Hall of Fame, it's it honors people, too, who have changed the game. And in terms of changing the game, I mean, in the past 20 to 30 years, has anybody changed the game, paved the way for the new generation of quarterbacks more than Mike Vick? I don't think so. So with that being said, and I'm not just going off of a stat standpoint because I don't know where his QB rating, I don't know where his touchdowns add up, I don't know where his completion percentage and all his yardage adds up. I don't know that. All I know is that the guy changed the position. He changed the game, and there was for a, for a while here, you talk about Tony Baselli. For a while, Tony Baselli was the best tackle in football, okay? The guy deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. For a while, I'd make an argument that Mike Vick was the most dynamic, the most polarizing, and the most special player in the NFL. Now, maybe not best quarterback, but most special player in the NFL. And I think, at least in my opinion, if I'm voting, that carries something. So I think Mike Vick should be in the Hall of Fame. Now, take, obviously, the whole dogfighting thing. Like, that's, if you want to put that in the mix, too, then by all means, please do. But if you... Take the dogfighting thing out of it and just look at what he brought to the game of football. I think Mike Vick deserves to be in. All right, Brent. Uh, there's reports that the NFL will almost certainly uh, review and change the interference review rule in its second season. Do you agree with that? And and what do you think they should do to fix it, I guess? Well, listen, they're going to take it out of there because they didn't use it. And they certainly didn't use it properly. And so if you're not going to call it, then why have it in? I think it may – I think – what they were trying to do is save the integrity of the sport by calls like happened in that New Orleans game, especially in a playoff game. What they did is hurt the integrity of the sport because you put a rule in place that you didn't enforce. And it was so obvious at times that you weren't enforcing it. Again, I will say what I said from day one. You don't need to put this in as a coach's challenge or anything else. You need a third observer or whatever you want to call it. I always say the BW3 button guy. (laughs) And you need, if something looks so egregious, then you need to, you can see that replay usually so quick. Mm -hmm. And if that person thinks that 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 needs to be looked at, well, then buzz buzz down there. I, I just think it's as simple as that. And uh, I think that's what they should do. Remember, wasn't there a situation in the NFL this year where the coin flip got all messed up or something like that? And then they came in and said, "Well, they're late in the season." There was I thought a coin it was something where they thought he said the team oh, was going to get it? heads, and then it ended up being tails. But they gave it to the one team anyway. And the NFL jumped in on that and said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, no, no." It, 
Yeah, you, I, you know, was that overtime or was it just regular? Oh, shoot, I, I can't, can't remember. remember. I can't yeah. remember talking about it. It though. was okay. a play, but the NFL had jumped in on it. That's my point. It's like have somebody come in, call the late officer, yeah, yeah. you know, and and have that guy, that eye in the sky, to say we're not. You're not. You've got to call that one against New Orleans. Mm-hmm. You have to. But if we if we have the rule in place, that means we are all talking about the plays they're not calling and they should be calling. Mm-hmm. This would eliminate that. All right. Um, so Austin ESPN is going to be airing the 2006 Saints uh, Dome coming. Yeah. And so my question to you against is, the Falcons. Yep. yep. If if uh, ESPN was going to air three Jags games, which would be three that they should put up? Oh wow! I thought you were going to say three games in general. Man, three Jags games. Well, obviously, we have to go with the, <coughs> the greatest moment in Jaguars history of Mike Thomas getting that Hail Mary. I was a you part of that, that one. Game. Well, because I was a part of it. I <laughs> so I can say I was a part of it. <laughs> oh, that's a good game. <laughs> obviously. So let's go with that one. Let's go with the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, divisional playoff game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And the third, you know, because obviously I'm more of a new school guy, right? Like as far as the old school stuff, I mean, would you say Denver, Brent? Would you travel the Denver, Denver, game, the Denver yeah. game? But even like what would be interesting is yeah. I think a lot of people would have the uh, like David Garrard run against the Steelers. Yeah. Uh, yeah would, you know what a lot of folks would have is crushing Miami 62 to three, you know, and, that's and Fred a big Taylor one. running wild and uh, that's Dan Marino retiring. Saints coming to Jacksonville. I sacked Drew Brees. That's a big one. Got beat by about 20, <laughs> I think, that game. That was a huge one. Um, Colts Thursday night sacked Andrew Luck. Got beat by about 30. That was a big one. I was a captain for that game, actually. That's the game I celebrated after my birthday then, too. And yeah. I came in late to treatment. But we've told that story before. All right, Brent, you're up. Okay, uh, last one so that you guys can do the hot and cold. Um, Brent, what player would you put at number one for snubbed on the all-decade team? Oh, boy. Ooh, I got to see the all-decade team. So my I can gosh, maybe we should have got a little homework on this one. <laughs> Koo's just throwing that high heat to you, man. We're getting softballs until that one made an appearance. Do you need the, the list, Brent? I'm looking up the list. Okay. Uh, eight players were chosen as unanimous selections, by the way. Brady Peterson, Joe Thomas, uh, Yonda Von Miller, Aaron Donald, J.J. Watt, Justin Tucker. Calais Campbell made this team. Yeah. Which is awesome. Okay, here we go. Uh, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Antonio Brown, Larry Fitzgerald, Calvin Johnson, Julio Jones. Uh, could you say A.J. Green could have made it? Uh, Rob Gronkowski, Travis Kelsey, Jason Peters, oh, okay. Tyron Smith. Um, I'm not going to go with offensive linemen. That wouldn't be on there. Uh, Frank Gore, Marshawn Lynch, LaShawn McCoy, Adrian Peterson. <sighs> and Darren Brown. Sproles is a flex guy. Oh, boy. I mean, this is right in my wheelhouse, too. So that's like I'm... Coaches of the decade, by the way, uh, Pete Carroll and uh, Bill Belichick. Who guts? Who could you make, make an? Oh. Drew Brees. Yeah, that was the quarterback one. What about Greg Olson at tight end? All decade team. Keep in mind. Probably not a bad idea, right? Because Kelsey came in what 2013, 14. I think I had said uh, AJ Green could have been. Yeah, on I like there. AJ Green, but um, yeah. I, you know, so many. Once again, we should probably did some homework. How, on how, this many, how many people <laughs> off that? Uh, who are the defensive guys? Because, like, Sherman? Did Sherman make it? Sherman made it. He didn't um, make it, okay. Cleo, I was worried about Cleo Mack. Cleo Mack Eric didn't make it. Barry, Earl Thomas, and Eric Weddle. Could, like, Cam Chancellor have made it? See, oh, and I'm not going to name this coach, but I played for a coach that absolutely could not stand Eric Weddle and thought he was the most overrated safety of all time because the guy did not, supposedly this is the coach's words, not my words, because the guy didn't want to hit anybody for a safety. So, like, that was always ingrained, like, Weddle wasn't that good. I think Weddle's a decent safety. I don't know about all decade, though. Um, 
Hey. Yeah. Where's Cam Chancellor? That's what I said. Oh, I'm sorry. I did. Yeah. I'm in my own little world. Yeah, Cam Chancellor. I would think. Kind of redefine the position a little bit. Yeah. You know the Legion way they're of boom. I mean, he, he was like he was like the muscle of the Legion of Boom, in my opinion. I put AJ Green at wide receiver. Could you have thrown him in the mix? Seems like a name that. Uh, Patrick, that Patrick there. Willis is in there. Man, what about is is doesn't Trent Williams have like six Pro Bowls? How'd they do on tackles? Jason Peters, Tyrone Smith, Joe Staley, Joe Thomas. I mean, hard to argue. Yeah. But Williams pretty good, right? Yep. So, uh, hmm. yeah, interesting. Very interesting. No, uh, no. Well, Calais Campbell counts. And Calais Campbell does count. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. That's all, all right. That. Thanks. For, uh, we'll do more homework on that one. <laughs> so I like being surprised most of the time. Uh, but well, that's a good question. Uh, I just don't know if I'm nailing the answer. What about Adam Vinatieri? Who was a kicker? Justin Tucker's uh, Stephen G- uh, Gostowski. Got to remember, though, the man. Polish prince. Vinatieri made it for the 2000s to 2010. I guess. Did it for 20 years. I guess. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. It might not be wrong in that one. All right. Uh, hey, Bolt City Heating and Air, I want to tell you about those uh, the, the fine folks over there. Uh, we've used them at our home, and obviously the summer heat is arriving as well. These are difficult times, and they are very much aware of that. But if uh, you have any issues at your home, make sure you give them a call, 904-379-1648. You can also visit BoldCityAC.com. Say hello to Mirza and his staff, uh, fantastic people. We've had a tremendous experience with them. And, uh, again, you can't control when the AC unit goes out or you have an issue uh, so give Bolt City Heating and Air a call once again 904-379-1648 or visit them at boldcityac.com going to end the show with a little hot or cold in terms of stock and is it right or not see Javon Kinlaw is a guy we talk about all the time if you go back early in the draft you could uh, early in the mock draft period might have been able to get him at 20 where the Jags sit with their second pick yeah, well yeah. now you're going to have to get him at number 9 even making it to 20 you're going to have to trade up whatever it might be he a lot of folks even have him going ahead of Derek Brown so his stock is hot yeah but are they right yeah I, th- I think it's hot and I'm th- I think they are right this guy I think he's the ultimate boomer bust and that's what the draft sometimes can be about Brent it's it's finding that that all pro type of guy that that game changer Brown I think comes in as the most polished guy hands down and he can come in you can add him to your team and he can give you maybe eight to ten good years of quality football but a guy like you just said, man, who can, if you teach him right and you show him the ropes and you cultivate him, could be an all-pro like a Cleo Mack type of player, like a, like a game-changer like that, it's hard to turn down. Josh, by the way, jumps in. Hot draft stock, Justin Herbert and Jordan Love. I'm getting the feeling we might see a QB run. Those names are certainly getting up the board, you know? Not to the Jaguars, though, right? No, I don't think so. But CBS, you listening? But it, listen, it was two. It was Joe Burrow, and then it was like the 14th pick. You might have True. seen a Herbert or a Love. Yeah. Now you're seeing all four of those guys rumored in the top ten. Welcome to the NFL draft. That's what normally happens. So a QB run, which could help the Jags, by the way. Land a uh, player maybe that you didn't think would be on the board at number nine. Uh, we'll see what happens. More draft talk coming up tomorrow. We'll see you on TV tonight, CBS 47, Fox 30. Hope you and your family are doing well. Be safe. And uh, we'll be back at it on Tuesday here on ESPN 690. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, 
Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.